Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we're reviewing every single game. Ahead of an electric week 14, I hope for the love of God your fantasy football playoffs haven't started this week. That'd be pretty messed up, which means we got one more week till everything matters that much more. Bragging rights on the line. You guys know what time of the year it is. It is the time to go take home those championships. As always, on this edition of PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, I'm joined by none other than PFF's own Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, happy week 14. Thanks, man. Um, very interesting slate this weekend. It's like, it's, it's, like from kind of like a 30,000 foot zoom out view, it's the opposite of last weekend. Last weekend we had all these backs that were gonna get all the work to themselves and all these great matchups. This week it's like, oh, look, like, oh, they've got a smash spot. Oh, it's the Texans. Awesome. Like, how do we divide that up? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have, I think we're both going to be complaining about some of the streaks of offenses we're going to have to talk about here, but whatever. Football is football. And seriously, just before we get going, can everyone shut the hell up on Twitter about complaining about that Monday night game? It was snow. Like, what is your problem? Is, you know, I enjoy football. I know, Dwayne, you enjoy football. Like, can, if you don't want to watch every single game, that's fine. But I also don't need to hear about how happy you are about not watching it. Is there anything more annoying, Dwayne, than people talking about not watching football? <laughs> no, that's probably at the top of the list, Ian. I mean, there yeah. are a few things above it, but I would put it way up there. <laughs> Politics, people talking about death not watching taxes, football. Death taxes. <laughs> The, the, the Mount Rushmore right there. But anyway, as always with this podcast, I'm going to take the away teams. Dwayne's going to take the home teams. We're not going to cover each and everything. We will still manage to go two hours regardless. But just know, trying to give you the big, most important uh, aspects of this without breaking down each and every matchup. Dwayne, you know, one day maybe we'll start our 24-7 just ongoing stream. We will never, you know, stop recording. But until then, we'll continue to roll uh, with this method. So starting things off Thursday Night Football, we got the Steelers at the Vikings, Minnesota City as a three and a half point favorite game total is at 44 you know Dwayne you're just saying death taxes and how about Deontay freaking Johnson working as a wide receiver too at worst but at this point it's just become a wide receiver one he is the PPR wide receiver seven this year on a per game basis and wide receiver four in expected points so we actually were seeing him a couple weeks ago where it was more of a wide receiver one workload wide receiver two production now we're just getting wide receiver one all over the place so absolutely love that ceiling I mean, the floor has been the ceiling basically throughout this year. Week one was the last time he didn't finish as at worst the wide receiver 24 on the week. And now he gets a matchup against the secondary that just made Jared Goff look good for 60 straight minutes. I mean, every single cornerback, Cameron Dantzler, Patrick Peterson, Bashad Breeland, Mackenzie Alexander, they were all ranked outside the top 50. And Breeland and Alexander in particular, absolutely miserable this year. Out of 127 qualified corners, Breeland ranks 120th. Mackenzie Alexander Alexander ranks 122nd in PFF coverage grade. Sheesh. Fire up Deontay Johnson and feel good about Chase Claypool too as a boomer bust wide receiver three. We still don't see him getting you know quite as much usage as Deontay, which yeah, he's not Deontay Johnson. He's not going to. But with this matchup, with him still getting plenty of air yards, if there is going to be a week, I think he can come down with some of Big Ben's patented hospital balls. This could be that. And then real quick, just on Najee Harris. Yeah. We're starting him everywhere. And, and we talked about Pat Frymer, by the way, on the waiver pod, starting him ahead of guys like Foster Moreau and uh, you know some of the other streamers. So definitely feel good about Pat Frymer and make sure you check out that waiver wire pod for all the week's top waiver wire goodness. But real quick with uh, Najee Harris, because he's had eight weeks as an RB1 this year. He's crushing it. Top 10 fancy back on a per game basis overall RB5. 
it's just been disappointing, Dwayne. Like someone like Javante Williams, who we've been begging to get more touches because of how great he's been. I knew Najee was going to be more of a volume-based RB1. It's not like we picked him necessarily because of his you know, raw talent. But I'd like to see a little bit more out of the guy. PFF rushing grade this year, he's 41st among 61 qualified back. He's 54th in yards per carry, 40th in yards after contact per carry. He actually leads the league in total force missed tackles, but he's only 28th on a per carry basis. And then even as a receiver, man, he's 30, tied for 33rd in drop rate, tied for 29th in yards per outrun. It's just been disappointing that we haven't seen more from Najee. Now, that could easily just be having to play alongside Big Ben, having to run behind a you know not great offensive line by anyone's measure, but I would just point out that despite all that volume, it would be nice if Najee could you know do a little bit on his own as well. Either way, lock him in as RB1. He's been all year. That's how much volume means in fantasy football. And Dwayne, another running back that I think has actually been performing better than Najee this year, but hey, who cares because he has all that volume. Alexander Madison for at least another week with Dalvin Cook still sidelined. Yeah, and with just kind of going back to how I opened the show, how these matchups, like it's all like the wrong the wrong teams landing, you know, against one another as far as like finding some really smash spots for backs this week. Um, Madison is one of the closer ones just because the Steelers give up 25.8 rushing attempts per game over the last six. And Madison will have a full workload to your point. You know, he'll see 70 to 75% of the rushing attempts. He'll be out there on passing down. So I will have him in my top six, top seven this week. I haven't exactly settled on where I'm going to put him. There's only one person in my tier one this week. So he's in tier two with about eight or nine other backs. Um, but Madison will definitely be, you know, my top seven. Um, as far as the rest of the Vikings go, you know, Kirk Cousins pulls a pretty solid matchup. Quarterback strength of schedule of seven. It's also kind of a weird spot for quarterbacks this week. We've only got one, two really great quarterback strength of schedule matchups. I mean, we've got, you know, fantasy points allowed, but I try to line up, you know, like you talk about, Ian, we want to get multiple data points because we know not just one metric is really the end-all be-all. So when we can find multiple things pointing to one or two, three, four players, like, and that's really where my smash article comes from that I put out on Thursdays, um, or sorry, it comes right on Thursday, comes out on Friday. Um, Kirk Cousins is in a pretty good spot this week. Um, I wouldn't say he's a smash, but he's definitely an upgrade. Um, the only problem is we won't have Adam Thielen. So what will Kirk Cousins look like you know, in an offense where he only has Justin Jefferson, has to lean more on Tyler Conklin, as well as seeing K.J. Osborne. See, yeah, my, Ruby doesn't like K.J. Osborne. She, does, <laughs> she just doesn't like him. It's not doing it. So Tyler Conklin, you heard it from Ruby, folks. We're going to go with Tyler Conklin this week. But Cousins, I've got at number 11 this week. You know, if he if he had, you know, Thielen, you know, Ian, I'd probably have him more like around eight or nine. You know, he's been very consistent over the last four to five weeks. Um, and just looking at, you know, the uh, Vikings overall and the way that they're throwing the ball. Last year, they threw the ball 57%. This year, they're on pace to throw at 62%. So they are a little more pass happy this year. And that's despite actually trailing less this year, they have trailed by four or more, only on 23% of their snaps. Last year, it was in the 40s. I don't have it right in front of me, but it's, a, it's like 19. It's like a 19% difference, so or a 19-point difference. So trailing less, throwing the ball more, that's proof that your coordinator probably has at least gotten enough into Mike Zimmer's ear to say, dude, like we got these really good receivers. We should probably use them more. Kirk Cousins, not so bad himself. So Cousins in my, inside my top 12, again, would be higher with Thielen there. Justin Jefferson is my number one overall 
wide receiver this week. Cooper Cup right behind him at two. Devontae Adams at three. Tyreek Hill at four. That's a tier, folks, so don't yell at me. Like, you can choose whichever one of those that you want to start. Uh, but Justin, you know, coming off of last week, look, you know, we just have to give him. You know, we have to give it to him. So it's going to be a, a funnel situation um, playing against the Steelers who run a lot of zone. You know, Jeff- Jefferson gets used really in all scenarios. Like, But for folks that have a lot of people hit me up with this zone man stuff, and it's like come through for some for some people on uh, some of the showdown stuff. So I'll just throw it out there, you know, real quick, you know, looking at, you know, the Vikings as a team. If you look at the way they, they want to distribute the ball against zone teams, it's like most other teams. Ian, what we see is it moves away from a funnel a little bit and it moves more into being spread out. So for on for example, you'll see running backs catch the ball four to five percent more against zone. You'll typically see tight ends go up a little bit against zone. The receivers don't go away, they just all kind of spread out. So you don't see as many guys getting the 30, 40 percent target share of games. Either way, though, we know Jefferson, he's just so locked in. Like, I mean, I wouldn't let there's nothing that could move me right off of Jeff Justin Jefferson being inside my top four this week. I mean, I don't know that there's a data point that would work for that. Um, but Je- Jefferson's 31 percent targets per route run against man coverage this year, 23% against them, which is still the number one on the Vikings behind only who? The running back, Alexander Madison, but he's got a really small sample size. But you can look at Dalvin Cook, he's at 20%. CJ Ham, 20%. They just throw to the backs more. So if you're looking for something sneaky on a showdown slate, then there you have it. Maybe there is something there like with a CJ Ham, something with one of these backup running backs because the Vikings do check it down to their backs. You're obviously probably are going to be already going to be using Madison but just for you, you know, degenerates out there that are looking for these like little tidbits, I'll throw that to you. And then as far as where I've got um, KJ Osborne this week, I've got him just, man, I've probably got him too low right now, Ian. I've got him 42, but I could easily see me moving him up into like right there, borderline 36, 37, 38, somewhere in there. But he's probably, I have him, I think, in the right tier. I've got him in my fifth tier. So my fourth tier has guys like Van Jefferson, Tyler Boyd, uh, Russell Gage. Um, even Odell Beckham Jr., Julio Jones. So I've got him a tier below those guys. And so, I mean, I like Osborne. I'm just not nuts about him. Um, I haven't looked at what his pricing is yet in DFS. And then as far as Tyler Conklin goes, we do expect to see him have more utilization this weekend. We saw his season high in snaps, season high in route runs, less routes run, routes run. Hello. <laughs> Third try. <laughs> Hello, routes run last weekend. And so he's probably in a spot where he's going to see, you know, 15, 25% of the targets could easily come up with a touchdown in this game. Um, so I feel good about him. It's not the greatest matchup, honestly, you know, for tight ends, but just knowing that they've got to figure out how they're going to redistribute this, the balls, having Adam Thielen out, that's enough for me. Okay. Because you have just blown your status as the pronunciation expert on this pod, I will need to take over. Wang Lu? Kene Wangu, Wangu is the <laughs> DFS. Told, did you even say it right? <laughs> no. <laughs> He is the DFS showdown sleeper. He's probably not even a sleeper. It's a showdown sleeper. But yeah, go get that double dip touchdown potentially with him and that Vikings DST with him as a returner. Like Great stuff. That. Yeah, and, you know, Dwayne, I agree with everything you said about Justin Jefferson being either the overall one or put him in the top four, whatever. But one thing I want both of us to really come back to in the offseason and try to quantify better is the relationship between a receiver being the featured guy, getting more targets, or do we want, or are we willing to sacrifice? 
a couple targets to have other guys around the offense and then help out that receiver by not having as much attention because we have some people looking at Kyle Pitts and saying if he only had Calvin Ridley there everything would be fine we wouldn't have to worry about all the extra attention but then we look at Arizona I sure wish DeAndre Hopkins was still getting 150 160 targets per year I know he got hurt but the pace was off we also have Hunter Renfro you know just balling out now that Henry Ruggs is gone that wouldn't make sense to me with the things that Ruggs' speed can do downfield so I don't have the perfect answer. Can you see answer. this behind me, Ian? It says, no. this is some, there's stuff that I have listed back there, like notes that I just take, I just throw up there, and then I'll write them down. Um, it's for the offseason. Wide receiver context. One good to- teammate versus two good teammates, etc. I love it. We're Boom. on it. See, we're already on the same page. We want to dig deeper. Nice. I, I love it, and we're going to have some awesome research for you guys on that in the offseason because we never sleep here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I know All it's right. sad. We, we love football, and we always want football, but I, I am getting to that point where it's like I am ready for the research. Like I'm ready to dig in and find the new stuff. I agree. All right, now we are on Sunday. Great, great start to this one. That was Saints. such a weak agreement, by the way. I I agree, but let's just, we're going to move on to the weekend. Go ahead, Ian. Take it away. <laughs> You know, you know I love you, Dwayne. Saints at the Jets. New Orleans, five-point favorite game, total about 43 and a half. Dwayne and I touched on Taysom Hill a lot on the waiver pod. He does deserve to be the number one QB ad of the week. Or actually, no, he does not. We were rolling with Cam Newton slightly over Taysom Hill. Uh, the one issue with Taysom Hill, actually multiple issues, but we have that mallet finger, and we have no playmakers. Like Deontay Harris is now suspended, and even when Taysom did have playmakers, it was usually rough enough to see him uh, just try to throw the ball as it was so with this situation they are facing you know fun little matchup here we have the Jets league worst defense in fantasy points per game allowed to RBs facing the Saints league best defense in fantasy points per game allowed to RBs but you would think that the way the Saints use Taysom particularly now playing with a banged up finger on his throwing hand we could see him running more than ever before in his five starts he has had 10 10 14 5 and most recently 11 carries I would not be shocked to see him set a new career high maybe even flirt with 15 rush attempts but I think a lot of it will depend on if Alvin Kamara can be back it does seem like it's trending that way he was much more of a game time true game time decision last week which was on Thursday night compared to some of the other previous games so I do think we get Kamara back from that knee injury if not man it's going to be tough they're facing the Jets it's still a two RB backfield, but it's basically three with Taysom Hill there. But like, we're not getting Mark Ingram as that RB two anymore. I think maybe Ty Montgomery and Ingram, they both are probably still going to be in the top 36 just by virtue of having four teams on by. You know, we got to rank these guys somewhere. But last week in that Thursday night game, Ty Montgomery, 52% snaps, four carries and six targets. Mark Ingram, 42% snaps, 10 carries, one target. Game script certainly played a role in that, but we don't. We didn't know Ingram was this game script dependent uh, back necessarily because Ty Montgomery was dealing with the injuries before when he was getting all the work. So just something to keep in mind with Ingram, with Ty Montgomery, if Kamara remains sidelined. So not touching anyone in this passing game if Taysom is going to continue to be playing under center. If for some reason they do go back to Trevor Simeon, small upgrades for Traquan Smith, Marquez Callaway. But come on, guys, this is Saints passing game. I think we've kind of gone down this road already. Now, Dwayne, with the Jets, Elijah Moore, and that's that's it. Wait, it's still so, my thunder, Ian. Like, I get to talk about one thing on the Jets, and you just hit it right off. And, and here I you go. I am now <laughs> leading you in. I thought it was a great lead. 
Yeah. Okay. So we're done. Elijah, no, <laughs> um, no with more. I mean, I kind of, it was, it was funny earlier today because, you know, as I was sitting here looking at ranks, I threw it out there onto Twitter, just like who's starting Elijah Moore, you know, versus DK Moore versus over DK Metcalf, right. For the rest of the season, I just did a poll, you know, DK Metcalf or Elijah Moore. Uh, the people have spoken, Ian. I guess officially the poll's still going, but it's a runaway. It's like 70% Elijah Moore to 30% for DK. People are all in on Elijah Moore. And guess what? I really, really don't blame them. And honestly, I, I threw that question out there, honestly, just because it's very similar, right? Um, obviously, you're going to give the quarterback edge to Russ Wilson, but here lately with the finger issue and everything, you know, it's just not the same. We have a very bad offense in Seattle. We have a bad offense with the Jets. But for Metcalf, you have a team that runs less plays per game. They drop back less plays per game. And guess what? He has another really good target on his team. And Tyler Lockett, here we are, back to the research question again. Um, but <laughs> for me, with Elijah Moore, like, man, he's a lock right now, Ian, for 8 to 12 targets a game. DK, eight's like his ceiling. Like, we're just praying for 8. Like, <laughs> sometimes, like, if we're if we're at 4 by, like, you know, 5 minutes left, you know, in the, in the fourth quarter, we're like, yes, he might okay, get 5. Okay. He could get 5. <laughs> so, um it's just a situation where I just feel like, you know, it's it's even enough that I would just lean into the volume, you know, and then people jump on Metcalf's talent. And I get it. Metcalf is very talented, but Elijah Moore's talented too, right? I mean, I think we're already seeing this. We've seen enough. And so for me, with Elijah Moore, it's going to be really hard for the rest of the way. And in fact, I put him as a upgrade today in the utilization report for like the third consecutive week. I don't know how many times I've done that this year. Not very many. Usually once you get an upgrade, it takes a while for me to move you again. But Elijah Moore is just like, no, I'm breaking rules. You know, I'm going to make Dwayne keep working. So whatever. I, I hear you, Elijah Moore. That's good. I'm good with it. Um, so I have him inside my top 20 this week. Um, probably going to end up inside my top 17, Ooh. maybe top 16, but I have him at 19 right now. Again, I've got him in tier two, so I haven't completely got these guys in the exact order I want them, but I've got them in the, in the way I want them from a tiers perspective. That's the way I work through my ranks. I go through a tier first, and then I fine-tune the tiers and get them in the order that I want. Um, so looking at more, though, just one real quick interesting thing, since I don't really have to talk about anyone else on the Jets, I guess I could spend all day on Elijah Moore if I wanted, which he deserves it. So when you look at Elijah Moore, we're playing against who? We're playing against the Saints. Saints are one of the most um, man coverage heavy defenses in the league. Now, that that's not always good, right? Sometimes that means you're getting a tough matchup like Marshawn Lattimore. But I will lean into the volume. Elijah Moore, easily the most targeted wide receiver on his team. Why? Because he's a freaking alpha and he's doing the same thing other alpha wide receivers do. To, to give DK Metcalf credit on the other side of the argument, he gets 35% targets per route run whenever it's man coverage. Lockett gets more when it's zone. But Elijah Moore, 32% targets per route run versus 21% on zone. And here's the next closest active jet because <laughs> I got to skip over Corey Davis, who was at 18% targets per route run. Uh, versus man coverage, it's going to be, and I'm going to leave the running backs out, uh, it's Keelan Cole at 19%. So this is a big spot again for Moore. And, and we're going to get some misses from Moore, but the boom, you know, is just, it's too big, Ian, to, to risk passing up. So I will have him in wide receiver two range. The rest of the Jets, it's a tough matchup on the ground, and we have a complete committee. The Saints are just stubborn, um, you know, as far as giving up rushing yarders. They gave up a, a play late, I know, last week to Tony Pollard. He busted them with a long run. <clears throat> but overall, they're still a tough matchup, and we just don't we don't have a clear way to put a pin in anyone in the running game for the Jets. So until we get Michael Carter back, I'm just really steering away. Tevin Coleman will be in my fifth or sixth tier, so more like at the highest, he'll be like a low-end RB3 this week. 
And for those that did miss the Tuesday news, Corey Davis is done for the year while undergoing core muscle surgery. All wheels up for Elijah Moore. Gotta love that. I think he probably will get the Marshawn Lattimore shout out. That can be overcome by volume. We've seen guys do it. Interesting note, when we get the Cowboys though, last week Lattimore did not shadow CD Lamb. First time all year that Lamb played a significant more number of snaps in the slot than out wide, but with Elijah Moore, usually on the outside, we would expect him to catch that shadow. Yeah, and just for Moving folks on, real quick, if the, they want to know, so yeah. right now, four rookies, Elijah Moore is second in open rate versus man versus single man coverage is what he probably will see a lot versus Lattimore. 45.7%. It's not like elite, like at the very top, like with your Stefan Diggs or Keenan Allens, but for a, for a rookie, that's still really good. He's the best of all rookies right now that don't play in the slot. Jalen Waddle's first at 51.4% open rate, but he plays in the slot like 80%. Yeah, Waddle, I... Do you adjust those open rates to target depth? I just wonder how much of that is like, yeah, Waddle, here's your screen. You were open. Well, that's that's why I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. It, that's why whenever I talk about Waddle, I just preface it. I haven't like right. found a way to pull it out of the data yet okay. just because I haven't gotten that deep with it. But anytime I talk about a player that plays in the slot, I always mention it because I know it's – and it's not just the screens. It's they get the motions. They get the yeah. – uh, I guess at the end of the day, no one should really care. You just want to know, oh, they're playing a man team and they target him sure. a lot. And guess what? They get him open, whether it's him or whether it's the team using the scheme to get him open. But whenever we're trying to talk about stacking players and their talent, I always mention it. I love when we were spending half the time on a matchup prod on like more macro theory, like fantasy Elijah stuff. Elijah Morris just had this coming. You know, he, he, we give, we're giving him his day and then we can move on. <laughs> Falcons at the Panthers, Carolina three-point favorites, game total at 43. Core Daryl Patterson leads the NFL with a 92.9 PFF receiving grade. Only Debo Samuel, Cooper Cup, and Christian McCaffrey have averaged more yards per outrun. 3.4 yards after contact per carry. That ranks seventh among 49 qualified players. Should I, should I keep going, Dwayne? I got I got a million of these things, man. I'm, we I'm can sure just... you have. I only see a few bullet points on the show sheet I'm looking shush, at. I know, I, know you've little, I know you've got your own little book there like i know it's not on paper though i'm sure it's electronic <laughs> way to blow my cover i actually did not have any more stats ready but yes cordero patterson we love him here on the pff fantasy football podcast and we'll continue to treat him as an upside rb2 as at the absolute worst i mean last week was the rough matchup against the buccaneers cpat was still breaking out some big runs anyway of course he's always got that upside with his receiving game you know and, he, and we talked about Russell Gage a lot on the waiver pod. He is giving us legit wide receiver three value these days. He should be the most prioritized wide receiver in fancy land. And yeah, so Gage, Patterson, fine with them. Matt Ryan, I think this could be a troublesome spot. Falcons, 25th ranked offensive line and pass blocking grade. Brian Burns and company, not quite the group you want to be having that problem with. And Dwayne, this kind of shocked me today. I was looking at the point differential around the league. The Falcons are the fourth worst team in terms of point differential, only better than the Jaguars, Jets, and Texans. They have truly been horrendous for most of this year. And I'm sorry, guys, but that also means Kyle Pitts has been horrendous for all but two games this season. It's okay, but if I see one more fantasy analyst give me your 17-game receiving yard pace trying to make out Pitts' season to be anything other than a disappointment, I'm going to throw up Dwayne. I don't you know. guys have got to stop doing this. Ian's told you multiple times now. Like, come on, we got, we got to, we got to stop. Because if not, I got to keep hearing about it. Seventy-five <laughs> or fewer scoreless yards in all but two games. The one touchdown came against who? 
a Jets defensive lineman, as I've told you guys each and every week since it's basically happened. So it's okay. I think if someone ranked Pitts like outside your top six to seven, eight tight ends in the preseason, that was probably bad process and you end up being, you know, kind of right enough on it. So he hasn't completely dudded. I understand he's probably going to rank about where he was drafted, but please just spare me these, you know, long tweets trying to make it sound like this has been this crushing, successful rookie season. It hasn't been. He'll be better in the future. For now, we just got to treat him as a usage-based tight end one. So got that off my chest. I'm sure it won't be the last time, but my goodness, man, sometimes on that old Twitter sphere, I just get worked up. And these days, it seems like those Kyle Pitts receiving pace tweets are the ones doing it the most. So love my guy, CPAT. Love, you know, not really my guy, but he's a solid wide receiver three, Russell Gage. And I guess we'll continue to start Pitts because we're in too deep by some 41 at this point. Now, Dwayne, on the Panthers, they had the bye last week. Let's just remind people that, yes, Chuba Hubbard, he can give you potentially some usage volume-based RB2 goodness, but we got Amir Abdullah there, and as we've seen over the years, Abdullah can make things a little bit tricky for these handcuffs. Yeah, um, I've got Chuba Hubbard right now sitting at RB24, so it, at your favorite, Ian, borderline RB2, yeah. or low-end RB2. Um, you know, you've been switching it up on me a little here, so you're kind of an off-brand. But it, it's a good matchup um, for um, Chuba. You got a 9.4 out of 10 on our running back strength of schedule, uh, which is the second best on the slate. Uh, 27.6 points per game given up to opposing running backs in a PPR format by the Falcons. You know, I don't know that the Panthers are necessarily set up to really take full advantage of that, but the matchup is good. So I've got him as that borderline RB2, you know, could fall into the RB3 range. But we know that if the Panthers were able to jump out, we do think, I think, and you tell me if you disagree, but I think we've agreed that he's really probably the early down back. Now, yep. we could have Cam Newton still some touchdowns down inside the five. It does sound like Cam's going to be the starter. Of course, no coach is ever going to come out and say something if they don't have to because they feel like, you know, they want to keep the element of surprise. They all read these war books and shit, you know, and they got to do all this, <laughs> you know, stuff. And, you know, well, you know, Bill Belichick, like he's huge on that stuff. So everybody hears him talk that way. And uh, so they got to follow suit, which I get it. Like Bill's the best. So you got to do what you got to do. So, uh I don't think it's an Amir Abdullah week just because of the way the game script looks. I don't think the Falcons are going to jump out on the Panthers. I mean, they could. The Falcons hung tough last week with the Bucs and made it a game, you know, until towards, I don't know, it was probably third, fourth quarter when that game kind of got to a point to where it wasn't really a game. But early on, you know, Atlanta was hanging in there, you know, with the Bucs. So overall, though, my guess is this won't be a situation where they'll need Abdullah a ton. He will handle the long down and distance and two-minute offense. I just don't know how much of that there's going to be this game. So I've got him down in the tier six range, more like an RB4. Like if you're just absolutely decimated, you got bye weeks and you're just hoping for like six points in a PPR, you plug Amir Abdullah in. Now watch and That means he'll be the starter. He'll come out and he'll blow up four, <laughs> I don't know, 125 yards and two touchdowns because we got a lot of Nebraska – Huskers, they, they just want to husk. That's what I have buddies that, you know, watch Nebraska. I don't know if you do, but they invite me over and they're like, I'm like what are you guys going to be doing? They're like, we're going to be husking. I was like, like corn? Listen, like you guys are going to have corn? Yeah, they're losing like to Ohio State every year. I see them that one time. I see them that Saturday. Challenge yeah, us one time, everyone. Nine yeah. points, that's not when a you challenge. you go hang out to watch the watch Nebraska, though, you, apparently you're going to a husking party. So just, just so you guys know. And they were always fun. So I want to give those guys props. Love those guys. Um, so as far as the rest of the Panthers, we got DJ Moore. And that's the only other receiver I'm going to talk. That's the only other player I'm going to talk about here. Uh, gets the Falcons. Gets a pretty solid matchup. Um, wide receiver cornerback matchups a little low. But, I mean, we're talking about a team that gives up 36.7 points to opposing wide receivers, which is above average. Um, and more 
look, despite the issues that he's had, and yes, you know, Cam Newton could struggle as well. Um, he's just a player that continues to really be the alpha on the team. Doesn't matter if it's zone, doesn't matter if it's man. He leads the team in targets per route run in both categories. So I'd expect DJ Moore to be the number one target on the team. I'll have him inside my top 20. It's just at the point, Ian, where I got to put him more like as that borderline wide receiver too, because we just don't know which Panthers passing game is going to show up. It's more of an indictment of the quarterback, not necessarily more. Yeah, DJ Moore, you know, he has basically, I started off the year, I think I had him ranked low-end wide receiver too, maybe even outside the top 24, completely retraced all my steps after the first five weeks, and now he's back to where we were kind of thinking at the beginning. But I do think he could blow up potentially this week because he's a great player. And as we talked about on the waiver pod, like the third time I've already referenced that on this podcast, so apologies there. But this Panthers offense, like the last time they were out there, Cam and Walker got pressured on 50% of their dropbacks. Now they're facing one of the league's truly worst pass rushes in the Falcons. So if there is going to be a game where the Panthers can have something resembling a clean pocket this could be it Seahawks at the Texans Seattle's seven and a half point favorites game total at 41 and a half all right earmuffs if you got children in your car wherever you're listening to feel free to turn this down for three seconds ready fuck this Seattle backfield they might literally have five active running backs getting snaps this week because last week we had Rashad Penny we had Travis Homer we had Adrian Peterson all between 26 and 40 percent of the snaps let's get DJ Dallas a few reps too and to top it all off we got Pete Carroll saying that he expects Alex Collin with the abdomen injury to probably be able to return this week so we could see not just a four back committee I've seen those they're gross but we might actually see a team have five active running backs and give each and every one of them some level of snaps. It could happen. I have no idea. I bet Pete Carroll probably has no idea. But all we know at this point is that it is absolutely gross. Gun to my head. Oh, I'm getting dark now. Gun to my head, though. Let's stay dark. It is it is Seattle. Seattle. It's, it's it Seattle. Seattle. It's Seattle. Rashad Penny would be the one I'd expect the most, but Agent Peterson could easily just take over now that he has been in the offense for a little bit longer. The answer is no. So just don't do it. Don't do it. I know the matchup's great. Dwayne, you mentioned this at the beginning of the pod. Like, yeah, we want to play running backs against the Texans, not running backs that might have to share their backfield with four other guys. So really, everything you can, just avoid this situation. With the passing game, it just comes down to, can the guys get the volume? Because Lord knows these Texans cannot stop downfield passes. Looking at Texans defending passes to at least 20 yards downfield, 31st in pass yards per attempt, 31st in explosive pass play rate, dead last in contested target rate. By like a mile, too. They can't even hang. They can't even stay close to guys downfield. Now they're about to face two of the best deep ball receivers in the league and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I, if Metcalf can't blow up in this spot after his three or four straight duds, I don't know when it's going to happen. With that said, credit to Tyler Lockett. Consistency from Lockett in this economy, man. We don't usually see this out of the guy, especially with like the worst version of Russ we've seen in a minute showing his face here in recent weeks. But Tyler Lockett over the past three weeks, four catches, 115 yards, three catches, 96 yards, seven catches, 68 yards, and a score. It's almost like so Tyler Lockett for him to finally start to have this consistency like in a year where Russ has been anything but the best version of himself. So Russ in this matchup back in the QB1 territory, not getting back to top five or top six or anything, but he has started to look a little bit better, I think, over the past two weeks compared to what we saw him initially coming off the IR. Metcalf, Lockett, 
you know, I, I don't necessarily disagree with your Metcalf versus Elijah Moore uh, question, Dwayne, but either way, these guys should still be in the vast majority of starting lineups, particularly when you're facing the Houston freaking Texans. So load up on this passing game. Gerald Everett, though, I think we should, if at all possible, wait a week. And he's not as bad as he was last week, but man, Dwayne, you know, it took them a little while to kind of give him the starting job anyway. They have Will Disley there. They have other guys. When you have two fumbles and a dropped pass that leads to an interception in the same damn week, it would make sense to me if that was enough of a poor performance to cost you a little bit of playing time. So I prefer to stay away from Everett in some of these deeper leagues. Hopefully you have a better tight end option anyway. Just something to keep in mind there. When you play that bad, there can be some ramifications in the ensuing playing time. Dwayne, you've had the Jets, the Panthers, and now you get the Houston Texans. Have yeah, fun, man. And you're enjoying this too much. Do you just have an ad I can read right here? <laughs> no, um, go. <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to make people put their earmuffs back on, you know, because they probably just got them off. They were listening <laughs> to you. But everything you just said goes for this backfield, too. <laughs> you got David Johnson. You got Rex Burkhead. We could have Royce Freeman, you know, more involved. Like, they could sign Ian off the street. This season, <laughs> you know, and they're going to get him active. They're going to get him involved in the game plan. You know, because that's what the analytics say to do. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that what Cully called analytics one time? <laughs> I think so. Earlier this preseason, someone was asking him about it. And he's like, he's like, well, the analytics. And I'm like, yeah, all right, analytics. Anyway, uh, don't want to really mess with any of those guys. Uh, if you had to, uh, Rex Burkhead, David Johnson, you know, they're kind of like that RB5, RB6 territory. Again, just hoping for five to ten points, you know. That's really all you're looking for. You're, you're pretty much saying that you're, you're not somebody that goes to Vegas when you play these two guys. You know, you're pretty much saying, like, you don't fly out of your city. You're pretty much hanging around the house. You're a homebody. You're a hermit. You like David Johnson. You like Rex Burkhead. You're going to play it safe. I get it. If you got to do it, you got to do it. But come on. Like, let's let's love a little. Get out, get out of there. Um, Brandon, Brandon Cooks. I don't really need to say anything else about Brandon Cooks. You know, he has a terrible quarterback. But we could get an upgrade, honestly. He had a couple of good games earlier in the season with Davis Mills. We're gonna have Tyrod Taylor out for the game, so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, it's not it's 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 a pretty decent matchup for him. Seven point one out of ten on wide receiver strength of schedule. Um, Thirty two point three points isn't great. What Seattle's given up through the air to receivers, but I don't think it's really because Seattle's necessarily good. I think it's because Seattle sucks and teams just run the ball in the second half, which is why they give up so many rushing attempts per game because they're usually getting their wheels blown off. So Brandon Cooks, you know, should be maybe this will be a competitive game. You gotta love those implied points of seventeen. And those got to make you really excited to play a player. Um, but I'll have Brandon Cooks where I normally do, right at the bottom of my wide receiver two tier because he just gets the volume but plays on a bad team. Next up, we got the Raiders at the Chiefs, Kansas City. Nine and a half point favorites, game total at 48 and a half. Shout out to this Chiefs defense. And this is kind of what makes them scary as a potential contender. This is by far the worst we have seen Patrick Mahomes play in his four-year career. And they're still eight and four. They have still won five straight games, or four or five, whatever they're at. But this Chiefs defense, 17 or fewer points allowed in five straight games. That's the stat I was looking for there. Four of those came at home. It's not the wildest competition. They faced a banged up Cowboys offensive line, things like that. But either way, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that this Chiefs team was basically like, okay, they better be able to score 30 points because their, their defense has given up at least 28. Now we're actually seeing them get some ugly wins and be able to uh, win despite having the despite being the best 
best version of themselves. So they figured this out going into February. Be careful uh, doubting Mahomes and company. But over on the Raiders, in order for them to be the best version of themselves, they got to get the deep ball back. And that is how they took down the Chiefs in Arrowhead last year. Henry Ruggs had like two catches for 118 yards and a touchdown. I'm not saying Deshaun Jackson can be that good, but let's at least find out at this point. They haven't played him for even 50% of the offensive snaps so far since he's joined the Raiders. And we've seen that start to impact Derek Carr's deep ball rate in weeks one through seven, 16.2% ever since 12.9%. So Honestly, man, there aren't many quarterbacks more efficient throwing downfield than Derek Carr. He's actually averaging 13 yards per attempt when throwing even 10 yards downfield. Fourth best mark in the league behind only Kyler, Kirk Cousins, and Russell Wilson. The problem is when we go from behind the line of scrimmage up to about nine yards, we're only looking at 6.3 yards per attempt, just 21st. So Derek Carr, need him to get his shit together because ultimately they had that nice Cowboys Thanksgiving game. Otherwise, 16 or fewer points in four of their last five games. So we have Hunter Renfro and we have Josh Jacobs, but in order for the Raiders to really reach their potential, they're going to need D-Jax and Carr to get their shit together a little bit more. And how about Hunter Renfro? Dwayne, where do you have him ranked right now? Because more and more, man, we got to start finding ways to squeeze this guy in the top 24. Yeah, I've been, I talked about that um, the other day. I've got him in my third tier right now, which puts him, I've got him at wide receiver 25, but I mean, he could end up anywhere. I've got six players in that tier. You so better move could, him up a spot. Up, yeah, he could end up anywhere between 19 and 25. Last five weeks, wide receiver 11, wide receiver 11, wide receiver 53. Whom's amongst us hasn't had a dud from time to time? And then wide receiver five, most recently wide receiver 12. Trust Hunter Renfro. He's about the only thing we have in this passing game. Foster Moreau, borderline tight end one. And yeah, guys, he's really busted in back-to-back weeks when you look at him almost having a full-time role against the Cowboys as well. So I know nobody can ever take that six-catch, 60-yard, one-touchdown performance away from us. Just realize that's not what's going to happen each and every week out there. The big, I guess, question is what's going to happen with Josh Jacobs because he is almost in a similar situation as Antonio Gibson at this point where we could see him finally start to have that true three-down role that we've been begging for really his entire career. Josh Jacobs had 27 total targets in 13 games as a rookie. He has 29 since the Raiders' week eight bye. Like, they are finally force-feeding him the ball. A lot of that has come, I think, because they've wanted to get him more involved, but also because of injuries. Kenya Drake, unfortunately, his season is over with that broken ankle. And Jalen Richard is on the COVID list. I believe he's going to be out at least this game as well. It's been hard to find, you know, exact vaccination statuses. Same thing with Keenan Allen, but Richard was a player that was awfully vocal on Twitter about not uh, being a big fan of the vaccine, so I do not think he'll be ready to go by Sunday. Either way, though, we're looking at Jacobs at least finally having a something close to a five-target floor, which is all we can ask. Last three weeks, RB20, RB12, and RB4. Again, this Chiefs defense, this is not the usual Chiefs D we've seen over the past few years. With that said, I still think Josh Jacobs deserves to be ranked inside the top 15, 16 backs as long as he's going to have all that pass-down work to himself. So Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, they should be in the vast majority of starting lineups. Derek Carr, Foster Moreau, I think I'll probably be answering most start sit, close start-sit questions with the other guy. Now, Dwayne, this Chiefs offense, they've had the one game where they look good over the past, you know, really since that Washington game, like in week six. They've looked really good approximately one time. And it was against this very same Raiders defense. So are we back? Is everything going to look great again this week? 
<laughs> well, I mean, we'll have to see. You, I, I thought that we would see a better Patrick Mahomes last week because you really had the Broncos just challenge him. They stayed um, in their cover three, ran a, ran a lot of man coverage, didn't really go to the cover six, the cover four, all the things that we've seen teams use to really thwart Mahomes. So I don't know. Maybe it's just completely in his head right now. Um, but we'll have to see. As far as the Raiders go, though, they run zone coverage more than any other team in the league at 78.1%. And 57% of that is against cover three zone, which is Patrick Mahomes' favorite thing to face. That's where he does his best. So looking at this offense, it's interesting. Whenever you go to zone, like the targets per route run, 26% to Tyree Kill, 21% to Travis Kelsey. But again, we see these running backs get involved. Daryl Williams, whenever you played, you know, versus man coverage, targets per route run, 8%. Zone, 19%. So this could be a spot where we could actually use Daryl Williams, even though we know we've got this split backfield. Because really at this point, like in a game like this, he could be the third target, Ian, behind, you know, we could have Tyreek Hill be first, Travis Kelsey be first or second. Those two guys, right, they're obviously the top. But then none of the other receivers have stepped up. So it could easily be Daryl Williams as the third option. Or we could actually see, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire get a little bit more involved in the passing game as well. So right now, from a passing game standpoint, I've got Patrick Mahomes still in my top three. I've got him as my quarterback three, Josh Allen and Kyler Murray are above him this week. Um, it's, it's a decent matchup. Again, it's kind of a weird schedule. Like the elite quarterbacks do not have great matchups this week. The kind of average to above average quarterbacks have some pretty good matchups. Um, but like your top, top guys like Brady, Allen, Murray, they're all in tougher matchups from a quarterback strength of schedule standpoint. Um, and fantasy point standpoint around average, but none of them are all just lining up perfectly like what we want. Sure. And so Mahomes kind of fits into that same group there. Uh, quarterback strength of schedule of 5.3. Offensive line pass blocking advantage. Man, the Raiders have really turned things around on their defensive line. A minus 24 <laughs> versus the Raiders. Um, so hat tip to the Raiders there. As far as the backs go, I have Clyde Edwards-Alaire right now in my third tier. Um, I'm assuming that Melvin Gordon's playing this week. I still have Javonta Williams two spots ahead of Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Then I've got Zeke. Then I've got Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, and then I've got like below below that, I've got Melvin Gordon, James Robinson, those guys. So I've got Edwards-Alaire, and this isn't final. This is kind of where I've got him slotted right now within a tier. So he's, he's right in that mix. Um, Low-end RB2 is what I would say. Daryl Williams, I've actually got a little higher than normal. I've got him in the next tier down. But just based on that information that I just shared with you, I think we could see a situation where we see Daryl Williams get involved in the passing game. And we've seen that be the case because guess what? He handles all the long down and distance. He handles all the two-minute offense. So when the Chiefs decide that they really are in throwing the football mode, it is Daryl uh, Williams. Daryl with one L, Williams. He gets on the field. I always wonder, was that an accident? Were his parents having too much fun you know, that night? Or was the dad having too much fun and he had to sign Dwayne, the birth certificate? You know, he's like, this girl got one L or two L's. We're going to go with I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry to cut off this, you know, super important rant you were just going on about the, the mystery of the one L. It's okay, L. just go ahead and do it anyway. <laughs> As I was writing my running back article today, you know, I noticed Clyde was only at 50% snaps. Daryl was at 46%. This was coming off a of bye. I do recognize, though, that that Broncos game wasn't exactly competitive in the fourth quarter. What do you see those splits really being kind of when the game wasn't as out of hand? Because it sure looks like Daryl, his role is here to stay. This is not just going to become Clyde's, like, overarching backfield. Yeah, yeah. one of the things we always do, first thing I do, like when I look at these splits, I look at it by quarter. And then if I notice something, then I drill in to the drives. And it was pretty even, you know, throughout. Like, I think these guys have their roles. I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 
is the lead early down back. He's handled 52 and 64% of the rushing attempts over the last two weeks. I think Daryl Williams is only a change of pace in the running back in the running game. He's going to see 20 to 30% of the rushing attempts. But when it comes to passing downs, when it comes down to third down and three or more or fourth down, it's going to be Daryl Williams on the field. If they want to go light speed, two-minute offense, then it's going to be Daryl Williams, whether that's at the end of the game or they just decide to run tempo for a drive. We're going to see Williams out there. So I expect to see it pretty close. I think depending on game script, you could see it you know, flip a little either way. Like you could see a week where Edwards Alaire is a little heavier in the snaps. You could see a week where it's Daryl Williams a little bit closer and it's almost 50-50. I think it'll always be somewhere between like a 60-40. That would be more like the Chiefs really winning a game and blowing another team out. Probably 60% of Edwards Alaire, 40% Williams. But I could see a game where the Chiefs just fell behind early and had to keep the pedal down, which they've done several times this year. You could see something. I think on those games, you're going to see more like a 50-50. You could even see Daryl Williams slightly ahead. Uh, if you want to continue your one L conspiracy, no, no, it's already over. Floor it's yours. okay. I'll go on to Tyreek Hill. He's got two L's in his name as well, as well. But in the last name, like Daryl Williams, who has two L's in his last name, not his first name though. It's got two R's up there. Anyway, Tyreek Hill's always a top five receiver. He's a top four for me this week playing against Vegas. Uh, you know, you heard me talk about it. they are the heaviest zone team. So it could really, you know, it's harder to pin these receivers down, you know, against zone, but it doesn't matter. You got Tyreek Hill, you got Travis Kelsey. I'm just really not brave enough to play any of these other, uh, you know, uh, Chiefs receivers. We're just not seeing any of them get enough work. Really, technically speaking, like Byron Pringle is the next guy up as far as routes go. But really, I mean, we've seen this for how many years in a row now? Ian, three. But really, the third receiver, it's empty. You know, it's Sammy Watkins never did much with all those snaps. We've seen uh, Demarcus Robinson occasionally will put up a game, you know, but overall empty snaps. We've seen Mecole Hardman have a game here or there, but overall they're empty snaps. So it's really feeling like the same thing with Pringle. Um, Josh Gordon just hasn't been able to get enough traction yet. So we'll have to kind of keep an eye on that. But I mean, it's the Chiefs offense. Folks know what to do. You start Tyreek Hill, you start Travis Kelsey, and then you're going to have Edwards Alaire and Daryl Williams involved. Ravens at the Browns, Cleveland sitting as two and a half point favorites. Game total at 42. I, you don't see this that often where the Browns, they went ahead and they played and lost to the Ravens. And then they had their bye week. And then, oh, hey, we are going to play our division rival again twice in three weeks and two times in a row for the Cleveland Browns. So thought that was interesting. But come on, Lamar. It's now been quite a while since we've seen truly the best version of Lamar Jackson out there. But guess what? He continues to at least not dud and fancy because of that sweet, sweet, sweet rushing volume. It's wild to me that Lamar is eighth in the NFL in rushing yards. It's just like, yeah, you know, he's, he's Lamar Jackson. A quarterback is eighth in rushing yards. And yeah, it it's doesn't not surprise even, us anymore. <laughs> doesn't surprise us. He'll, he'll, he'll break outside the pocket, like rip off a 25-yard run. And we're just like, oh, yeah, whatever. And then he misses a pass from the pocket. We're like, what's he doing playing quarterback so only three yards behind Zeke 11 yards behind Dalvin Cook Lamar has a chance to be a legitimate top five leading rusher this year in 2021 madness he's on pace for a career high 190 rush attempts also has a chance to own the top four single season rush attempt marks by a quarterback in NFL history truly have not seen anything like Lamar particularly in terms of his overall usage on the ground we're continuing to fire him up with all the confidence in the world as a top five Russian QB. I just wish they could get this passing game going a little bit better, but we at least have seen them keep Hollywood Brown involved. 
10 plus targets in five of his last seven games. And they're doing a good job, like not making all these just bombs downfield. So even though Hollywood hasn't been booming the same way we saw earlier in the year, he also hasn't been completely killing you thanks to a lot of these shorter hitting things. The guy we cannot trust as much is Rashad Bateman. Sub 50% snaps in back-to-back weeks, just one target in that week 13 goose egg. So unfortunately, Sammy Watkins, the Lizard King himself, has rendered Bateman as a non-viable fantasy option. We love Hollywood. Yeah. Can whenever you're I want to jump in on on the passing game. Since the Browns don't have a passing game, can I go like after you're done talking passing game? I want to talk about that's, the Ravens real that's quick. That's fair. If you have Baker slander though, we want that still. <laughs> okay, I'll work on the Baker slander. Okay. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Okay, yeah. Just so I was digging into Jackson really deeper in the utilization report this um yesterday. And so what I notice, you know, well, one, you know, and you're kind of hitting on it, two of Jackson's worst three passing grades have occurred in the last two games, a 35.3 and a 35.5 PFF passing grade. You know, he's only had one other 30 in his career, and now he's got back-to-backs. He hasn't eclipsed the 60% completion mark in three consecutive games, 57%, 59%, 59%. What I will say, though, is this year he's been way better against zone coverage uh, versus uh, man coverage. So if you look at his zone, uh, PFF passing grade of 70.2, completion percentage of 66% versus man, 56.4, 55% completion percentage. And we know we've seen Lamar struggle with some of that pinpoint accuracy that you sometimes need, what we call the accurate, the accurate plus throws, Ian, you know, when we look at it, you know, in PFF ultimate and, you know, a lot of times you need that against man coverage, right? Because it's all about placement. Like, do I have to be over the shoulder? Do I need to show the throw the back shoulder? Do I got to throw low and away? You cast because you have to be where where your receiver is versus where the defender is can a lot of times be a much tighter throw versus zone. A lot of times, right? You're finding a, an empty space with a receiver running through it. You're still anticipating, but it's a different kind of throw. And so I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and if you look at you know the Browns, let me pull them back up real quick from a zone coverage. Um, perspective, they are the fifth highest in zone coverage in the league. At 73.7% of the time, they run zone only 18.2%. And you would think with some of the draft picks they've spent right on these cornerbacks that it would be higher, but only 18.2% of the time do they run man coverage. So even though it looks like it might be kind of a difficult matchup, this might actually be a good spot for Lamar Jackson because he gets such a heavy zone coverage team. The key will be just keeping him clean. The other thing I noticed, and you've hit on this one in the past, um, but he's struggling under pressure. His passing grade plummets from a 79.9 to 39. Point zero, which is six worst worst in the NFL. Um, and he was under pressure 45% of his dropbacks last week against the Steelers, which proved to be very problematic. And they run a lot of zone too. So I'll throw that in there. On to some of the rushing attacks and the one big one, Devontae Freeman. Like we finally have one running back in Baltimore, which is fantastic because when you have such a dual threat talent like Lamar Jackson, I just told you how absurd the rushing volume is. Even a two- even a two or three back committee like doesn't always work. Look, look at Buffalo, look at Philly. Like we need to have one running back ideally, particularly in when you have a dual threat quarterback under center. And that's what we've gotten with Devontae Freeman. At least 14 carries and targets in five straight games over the past, let's see, about a month and a half. He has ripped off PPR RB 23, 21, 11, 39, 37, and most recently RB 10 finishes. Again, we can live with the condensed volume with Lamar and Devontae. Fire them both up with plenty of confidence. Where's Devontae landing, Dwayne? Like, I feel better with him than I do someone like James Robinson at this point. Yeah, I've got Devontae. I gotta scroll back over to my backs. Um, 
I actually, he's on the cover of the utilization report this week. So oh. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling what you're, I'm picking up what you're laying down here. So I've got him right there, borderline. I've actually, I've got him as an RB2. You know, I've got him low end RB2. Um, but I think, you know, he's got upside to be more of a high end RB2. Like looking at his yeah. utilization, like you mentioned, like everything's up, snaps, route. He's getting all the passing down work. Um, and we know that the the Ravens are on pace to pass the ball 11% more than they did last year. So that's a good thing. And then last week, even with Latavius Murray back for the second week, we saw him continue to dominate um, the rushing attempts. It's just mainly sharing with Lamar Jackson. And then Latavius Murray, he's kind of just mixing in, but he's not really splitting time per se with Murray now. Right. I was concerned after, because we had Latavius have that long stretch yep. where he was out. He comes back in week 11, first game back. He had 10 carries and 37% snaps. He got to start the next week and he actually saw his snaps go up from 37% to 44%. If there was going to be a week where Latavius would have either really gotten his job back or at least, you know, been part of the committee, it would have been last week. What happened? Just two carries, 19% snaps. It is Devontae Freeman's backfield. Start him with confidence against a Browns D that, you know, wasn't completely run over by the Ravens last time, but 148 rushing yards. That's what Lamar and company can do for you. Now, Dwayne, the Browns have not one, not two, but three excellent running backs. They might need all three of them this week because Lord knows they can't pass the ball. Yeah, I, you know, since I have to say something about Baker, I'll just say I don't even have him ranked in my top 24. So even QB flex folks, sorry, you can't use Baker Mayfield. Moving on to the running game, um, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. I think a lot of people are worried about Kareem Hunt, just kind of looking at the, the public sentiment that's been out there. And some of it might be Dearness Johnson. We did see Dearness Johnson get a little bit of work last week. I don't know, or the week before the bye, I don't know that that's going to really stick, you know, moving forward. Um, and it wasn't enough to make Johnson valuable, but it was enough to kind of be a pain, right, to the other two guys. But man, going back to Kareem Hunt, you know, looking at him early in the season, and we saw here were his finishes in a PPR 16, 41, 2, 16, 7, 25. And look, you just mentioned it, like the passing game is anemic, but part of that is because they just don't have any weapons. They've got Jarvis Landry, who's a nice player, but he's not someone that strikes fear, right, into the heart of the defense. Maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, can pick things back up. He had kind of had some good buzz going in camp, got hurt. Then he started to get some more buzz going again, had a couple of nice games, got hurt again. So if Peoples-Jones can stay healthy, maybe he can be more of that X receiver, really push the safeties off down the field, but they just don't have anybody like that right now. But the point of where I'm going with it is Kareem Hunt, like in, in my mind, like should be a top two option probably in this passing game. Now they rotate all their tight ends. So it's basically Jarvis Landry, a rotation of tight ends. And then you've, so there's just a lot of room. Like if you want to get Kareem Hunt the ball, you know, you're going to be able to as far as, you know, it's who else are you saying I have to get these targets to? <laughs> there's not really anybody. So Hunt is just in a situation where let's see him get a little bit more involved in the passing game. Um, I've seen him rank pretty lowly, like even in our projections, like he was at an 8.5. I've got him ranked up with the rest of the guys that are, that are projected more for like the 12 to 13 points. Right now, I've got Hunt as my RB20 on the week. Um, I've got Nick Chubb as my RB16 on the week. You know, these guys definitely both carry some boom bust when they play in games together. We know that. Um, Kareem Hunt will handle, handle the passing downs, handle the long down distance, and he's also the closer. So Nick Chubb has a really narrow needle like that he has to thread, um, which is game's got to stay close and he gets the early downs. If it turns into a blowout where they're losing, Nick Chubb loses work. Close, it turns into a blowout where the Browns are losing, Nick Chubb loses work. So it's a really odd situation 
rooting for Nick Chubb because you almost don't know what to root for. You're like, oh god, don't get ahead too far. Oh no, don't fall, don't fall behind too far. So it's like it's funny, but like we know the talent's elite. Nick Chubb's in the top of everything. Like missed tackles force, you know, per attempt. You want to look at you know yards after contact, way up there. Explosive run rate, number one in the NFL. Um, so Nick Chubb, gonna go, go ahead and fire him up. We just know he's not involved in the passing game. As far as that passing game goes, outside of what we may see with Kareem Hunt, it really just comes down to Jarvis Landry. Um, the nice thing for Landry is he's actually, you know, and I know we've we've been really low on Landry lately on the pod. Um, he has been wide receiver 27 and 17 in the last two games. So it's also probably a little bit of a health issue. And I know it's nothing against Landry. We both like him as a player. It's just he's not as dynamic. He doesn't give you the upside, right, that some of these other guys give you. Um, but I've got Landry right now in my tier four of wide receivers. And so I'm just looking. So I've got him wide receiver 38 right now on the week. So just as he, and so basically he's a low end wide receiver three is the way that I'm looking at it. But, you know, he could give you a wide receiver two performance. He's almost done that two weeks in a row now. Uh, what's Jarvis supposed to do, man? This offense has 225 or fewer passing yards in yeah. all but two, two games this year. All but two freaking games. You can't hit 225 yards. Beckham left, and they put up 41 against the Bengals. We had that long touchdown in Dodger Peoples-Jones. It was looking like we were going to party like it was the second half of 2020 <laughs> all over again. To this day, Deontay Wilder, to this day, that stands as the last touchdown pass Baker Mayfield has thrown to a wide receiver. You know, OBJ has two for those counting at home. They have scored a total of 30 points in their last three games. The fancy like mock the idea that they would bench Baker. I mean, I don't know, man. Isn't the goal to score points? Browns scored uh 14 or fewer points four of their last six games. That is the highest amount so in the NFL. Less gross game. Cowboys at Washington. Cowboys sitting as four point favorites. Game total at 48. Ezekiel Elliott looked way healthier, way better in the first two months of the year. I wish they would shut him down. I understand he's great in pass pro. I understand I've heard smart guys talk about how much better he is running between the tackles, you know, getting four yards and there's only two yards there. This is not meant to shit on Zeke. It's more about praising Tony Pollard because I wish we could do that more. Instead, every time Pollard has a touchdown run, it's just like, get Zeke off the field. It can't just be like, you know, great play, Tony Pollard. Uh, but yeah, I think we'd be having this conversation if Pollard was on any other team in the NFL because he has been that good. PFF rushing grade, he is third among 54 qualified backs. Missed tackles force per carry, he's tied for ninth. Yards per carry, he's third, second in yards after contact per carry. Unfortunately, Zeke continues to get all the usage, more or less. It is more split up these days, about 60-40 between the guys, but Zeke continues to be basically a touchdown-dependent RB2 at this point. But hey, he's in the league's second-ranked scoring offense, so he'll continue to get those uh, scoring opportunities. Pollard's someone that you know, we still got to rank him a little bit under Zeke based on that opportunity. I don't think he's good enough quite to make up, you know, for these six to eight touch differences. Yeah, he will when he busts, you know, a 50-yard touchdown in the house like he did against the Saints. Tough thing to consistently lean on week after week after week. So Pollard, hey, RB3 territory, you know, recommended flex. I'm all for that. Just realize Zeke, as much as we want him to be the RB2, remains the RB1 in Dallas. But I really think the Cowboys' best path best path to success. It's just airing it out. This is PFF's 25th ranked secondary. We saw everyone killing Washington early in the year. 
I think they've corrected themselves a little bit here, but when you don't have like a true game changer like Chase Young on that defensive line, when you face, you know, a real top tier unit like this Cowboys offensive line, that's going to be problematic for all those corners involved. So expecting Amari Cooper to be better conditioned, more back to his usual role after having that extended week to get right following uh, last Thursday night's win over the Saints. And with that, we can kind of get back to treating him as that low end wide receiver too. That Michael Gallup pretty much was in his place. Three games without Cooper. Last one, barely playing. Usually just high leverage situations. Michael Gallup, wide receiver 41. And then wide receiver 20, wide receiver 22. So we've talked about some of these situations. You know, Daryl Henderson, Sony Michelle, Dalvin Cook, and Alexander Madison. Like, just basically flipping the guys when one's ruled out. That's more or less what we can do with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup when Coop is forced to miss times. Of course, though, CeeDee Lamb has cemented himself as the number one in Dallas. Wide receiver 13 in PPR points per game. Uh, he would have had an even, I mean, it worked out for him anyway. I'm just seeing if he had over, he didn't have over a hundred receiving yards last week, but the only reason was, was because they ruled this like screen pass to him actually went backwards. So he had 33 rushing yards with the 89 receiving yards continues to look like one of the best players at his position in the league. I mean, it's going to be really tough to rank more than five wide receivers ahead of CeeDee Lamb and redraft next year. I'm just, I'm getting the itch for these uh, 2022 ranks, Dwayne. We can't get too ahead, but uh, mine is starting to uh, whirl with all that. Finally, Dalton There's Schultz. There's some people to report to that'll be happy to see your 2022 rankings, Ian. They're ready. <laughs> 2022. Oh, we'll get the 2023 ranks out by, uh, you know, week 17, 2024 by the wild card round. Fuck that. Dalton <laughs> Schultz without Amari Cooper, tight end 12, tight end 8. Tight end 12, he's a low-end borderline tight end 1 when all these guys are getting healthier, not someone that needs to be necessarily featured ahead of more consistent, you know, factors of the offense. The first two guys that came to my mind were uh, Mike Jasicki and Dallas Goddard, who were both on by, so bad examples there, but I think you guys know what we have in Dalton Schultz at this point. And then with Dak Prescott, obviously he has cemented himself as a consistent matchup-proof QB1. Great day to be great. Right there and honestly Dwayne it's been a great day to be a Washington football team fan over the past four weeks got that winning streak going Heineke's playing good ball and don't look now I'm going to break my rule and uh, kind of use the not per game numbers to uh, help my argument here Antonio Gibson fantasy RB 11 wow we're here <laughs> yeah looking at Gibson like you know well We'll have to see if McKissick is going to be back. I was just actually searching to see if there was any new news on that front. I haven't seen anything, so he missed last week with a concussion injury. Could also have some sort of a neck problem, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. I do worry once McKissick is back, you know, that's going to be a problem for Gibson and the passing downs, um, and the Cowboys do represent a team that could jump out ahead. I do see this probably staying, you know, fairly close. I mean, Vegas has Dallas as four-point favorite, so that's a pretty close game. You know, it's, uh, you know, Washington at home. I guess that's fairly – that's actually a decent good line for the Cowboys, you know, since it is a home game, you know, for Washington. But looking at, you know, Gibson, the thing that I notice, you know, Ian, and this kind of goes to even if McKissick is active, like how do we rank him, right? Because that's – that's really the big question. Everybody knows if McKissick is out, Gibson's a top six running back. Like that's that's a foregone conclusion. But what do we do if McKissick is back? And what has really been at the root of Gibson's you know resurgence in the second half of the year, other than probably to your point, you mentioned this on the pod the other day, he does look healthier than he's been all season, right? He's still getting less. He's still getting managed in the week as far as his practice reps go. Still has that shin issue, but he looks really good right now when he's running the ball. Looks like you know he's running angry. He's running with authority. It's funny, like this guy was ever a receiver 
hurts, like you almost forget, like he's running more, you know, with more power, like a bigger back, but he still has, you know, the quick feet to be able to evade the tacklers. He's got a lot of great things going for him. But the biggest thing that I notice, Ian, you know, over the last four games, they have 119 rushing plays playing with a four point lead or not rushing plays plays playing with a four point lead or more. Over the first eight games, guess how many snaps they had playing with four-point lead or more? 69. One. What? One. (laughs) So game scripts are huge, people. And they're, yes, I triple-checked that one. (laughs) They had one. The football team had led by four or more points over the first eight weeks one snap of football. The now, one thing I was going to say, one thing I was going to say with McKissick coming back is at least we know like this version of the football team is more competitive yes. and has a little, a better chance of having positive game script, but one that's shocking. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. They were one of the worst teams in the league. So, wow. I mean, it, they're starting to gel a little bit. They've gotten healthier in some areas. You know, I'll talk about the tight ends in a minute, which is kind of a problem again, but Gibson for me that I've got him at RB 15. And so I, I like him. He's in my third tier of backs. And, and that's what I think he is. I think he's basically in games where McKissick is playing, we're going to look at Gibson as a high end, you know, mid range. I would say that's more, that's actually, you know, in my high end RB2 range, right? You need the script to go right, though. He could still get scripted out. That, that and health are the two main things that have changed. The scripts have gotten better and Gibson looks better. He's playing better. So, but you can, it, hey, it was to the point where I had him as a low end RB2 every week. Like there was, I think there was one week where I actually had him like 25 or 26, you know, <laughs> whenever we didn't have many buys, I had him actually outside the top 24. So you're not really in danger of that anymore unless the football team just falls on their face. So you're in good shape there. Um, Terry McLaurin, it's got a nice matchup this week. Um, we know that Trevon Diggs is great, but he's also willing to risk it, you know, <laughs> Trayvon Diggs is willing like to, you know, just go for the pick. And we know that McLaurin is a great route runner. He's, he's building that rapport. Yes, it is tougher on his shots downfield with Heineke. It hasn't been great. But look, he's getting plenty of routes, seeing plenty of targets. And that's part of what's led to really McLaurin's boom-bust nature, right? It's been really just, honestly, as much as we like Heineke, a lot of that goes back to Heineke. Like watching Terry McLaurin, I've gone back, you know, multiple times this year. And we've got some really cool tools where we can pull up and just see like, oh, here are all the routes they run or here are their targets. And we can just kind of click on it and be like, oh, it just plays them all for us. So we don't have to like go deal with game pass. Um, so thank nice. you, NFL. We appreciate you working with PFF to help us with all this. But I don't use your tool anymore because it sucks. I just use ours. So um, with Terry McLaurin, like I've watched multiple times, like his routes and stuff are still a gradient. Like he's setting people up. He's doing all the stuff he needs to do. He and Heineke just aren't quite there, but you know, it is a matchup where we know Washington probably going to need to score some points. Um, so I've got Terry McLaurin in, in my tier two of wide receivers this week. You know, he's kind of, you know, at this point, it's like you got him, you've got Metcalf, you got DJ Moore, um, you got Elijah Moore. All those guys are kind of there together for me, right? You know, we, we know that they could see targets. Um, DKs are a little tougher, but we know they can come through with big plays. It's just going to be hit or miss, you know, whenever they hit, whenever they miss, because they've just got problems with their offense. So that's where I've got, you know, um, looking at Terry McLaurin this week. And then as far as the tight end, just really quickly, Logan Thomas. Um, sounds like he probably avoided, I haven't looked again today, but it sounds like he did avoid the ACL or an MCL yeah. tear. Um, and I haven't heard confirmation on what it is. He's probably going to miss some time. But the good news is probably haven't lost him for the year. Um, we've got Ricky Sills-Jones coming off of a hip injury. Don't even know if he's going to play yet. He did not play again last weekend. So if Seals-Jones doesn't play, 
John Bates could be a potential punt play um, scenario, but it's not something I'm still super excited about. We have, and you've talked about this on the pod the other day on the waiver wire pod. It is a situation. It's, it's truly uncanny where we actually see like they just plug the next guy in and they throw it to him. Like typically, you know, so either they just are really good at acquiring this tight end talent um, and they know exactly what they're looking for. And guess what? It's not like they're high draft picks. Like you pick up Seals Jones off the scrap heap, same thing with Logan Thomas. um, And then you end up, you know, these two guys turn into guys that can demand 17, 21% targets per route run. Um, It's just a week where I'd rather avoid the situation. um, Even if we get Ricky, especially if you get Ricky Seals Jones back, just because we don't know, like, how, how healthy is he going to be? How much is he going to play? Could it be more of a split kind of situation? So I won't have any of those guys um, near like my top 15, 16 tight ends this weekend. Heineke, uh, I've got right now at just below. I've got him in the same tier as Russ Wilson and Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins. But I, I mean, I've got him below Cousins. Cousins is number 11 in my ranks. Russell Wilson's 12. I would say Heineke probably ends up like... 14 or 15 for me this week. Do you play Heineke over Cam and Taysom? Over Taysom Hill? I have him above Taysom Hill right now. I have Taysom Hill in a tier below. Who else? Okay. Cam? Cam. I have Cam right now in the same in, at the bottom of the same tier with Heineke. Okay. I, I think that's about right. Jaguars at the Titans. Tennessee, nine and a half point favorites. Game total is at 44. Whoa, boy, these Jacksonville Jaguars. I hate you guys. James Robinson loses a fumble on the first drive of the game. He proceeds to play seven first half snaps. Did not touch the ball again until just before halftime. Later in the game, Carlos Hyde loses a fumble. Don't worry, Carlos. Get back out there and we'll give you two more carries on the very next drive. And I'm not going to list all the stats, Dwayne, but I, you can check out my RB article if you guys want to see them. I, I would be hard-pressed. If anyone can out there, you know, this is a challenge to anyone. If you can find me one stat that shows that Carlos Hyde is a better football player in any facet of the game, please show me. You can find me on Twitter. Don't waste your time, at Hardest. folks. Don't I waste che- your time. Find I check receiving, pass protection, running back, every single thing, yards after contact, and it's usually not even freaking close. So, like, they interviewed James Robinson after. I, I, my heart breaks for the guy, the way it's hearing about it. It's just so pathetic, man. This offense hasn't scored more than 17 points since their Week 7 bye. They have passed 10 points twice. Trevor Lawrence hasn't thrown for 250 passing yards in a game since Week 6. Week 1. He threw those three touchdowns, and we were like, okay, maybe he could put up garbage time points. Nope. That's the only time the number one freaking draft pick has thrown for multiple scores in a game. So I guess the only question here, because Lord knows we can't trust any of the fantasy uh, assets, don't play the wide receivers. For the love of God, don't play the wide receivers. Don't play Lawrence. Even James O'Shaughnessy is kind of losing his grip on the real every down roll. I don't want anything to do with him, even as a pump play. Um, a cool thing, Dwayne, I know it goes into uh, you know your Christmas tree rankings, implied points, seeing if you know we can get... Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great system you have, and I I, I think implied points are awesome. I just love you awesome. call it my Christmas tree rankings, because I've said the Christmas tree. That's what I'm going to name it from now on. That's when I'm going to resave this, this workbook at. As the Christmas tree rankings. My uh, um, my first employer in this industry who always have a soft spot in my heart, Fancy Labs. They have an awesome Vegas dashboard you can find on fancylabs.com slash NFO slash Vegas. And it basically just really red and green everywhere shows you, you know, who's implied. You can sort. Um, it shows you how the lines are moving throughout the week. Very useful, t- useful tool. So basically, you can sort by implied points to see based on the game total and the spread 
how many points Vegas expects each team to basically score or projects them to do so. And the bottom five teams this week, the Bears at just 15 and a half, Texans and Lions at 17, and the Jaguars and Giants at 17.25 implied points. Absolutely brutal. I guess, Dwayne, like the question is, are we being too lenient with Trevor Lawrence? Because it has been an impossible situation for him. But with Trevor Lawrence, we're like, well, who cares? And they, you know, we have Fox showing that graphic of Trevor Lawrence, like in Troy Aikman, another quarterback who just sucked as a rookie. Like, I'm not writing him off, but we also need to look at it like, why do we have such a different kind of feeling on Trevor Lawrence versus Zach Wilson, who's also been terrible, but I feel like we're more willing to write off Wilson just as a complete bust already. Meanwhile, we're giving Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, a much longer leash with it so i don't have a great answer i think i've probably been a little bit of a victim of that myself but you know we haven't been completely trashing wilson at all I, we talked about on um the sunday review pod wilson uh, had a week high five drops last week jets receivers have dropped a league high i believe it's 29 balls on the year zach hasn't helped himself out trevor hasn't helped himself out i guess uh, my point is just realize outside of mac jones all these rookie quarterbacks have been trash and yeah we got to try to figure out what the surroundings are going to be but like Dwayne, we got to be careful here with Trevor Lawrence that we don't fall into the freaking Sam Darnold trap again of just waiting three, four years for this, you know, generational QB prospect to turn around when he continues to really do nothing other than suck. So I just hope that Urban can get out of here after this year and we cannot have to worry about how much is Trevor, how much is the system he's in, because, you know. We shouldn't have to forget everything this guy was able to do at Clemson and just all the tools he has. We see it from time to time. And he's, I think, you know, Wilson might be number one in drops, but Trevor isn't far behind. Uh, I think he's at 23 or 24 on the year. Just something to keep in mind that, you know, we can't be giving Lawrence a complete free pass for this year if we're not going to hold the other rookie QBs to the same standard. But enough with that dog shit organization. Uh, Dwayne, Titans are coming off the bye we talked about this on the waiver pod, though. It's it's fine to expect them to put up plenty of points here against the Jaguars. Be careful, though, about just lining up Doncho Hilliard and even Deontay Foreman because Jerry McNichols is probably back this week. He might have something to say about that committee. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it is a it is a good spot, you know, whenever you look at, you know, the Jaguars as a defense. They give up 27.1 regulation rushing attempts per game. So that's just right at overtime. So you can kind of normalize everyone and just say, okay, in regulation, who's given up? You know, because we can't predict when we're going to get overtime. They've given up the six most rushing attempts per game at 27.1. Um, when you look at the spread, you know, um, it's a healthy spread, um, nine and a half points this week, you know, uh, favorites for the Titans, which, you know, uh, that's how bad the Jaguars are because the Titans have not looked good over the last couple of games minus their weapons. They do get Julio Jones back this week. But if I had to pick one of these backs, like I'm firmly in the Deonta Foreman camp over the other two yep. guys this week yep. just because – I know that he is the early down back. Like he's shown that over the last two games. And so if this game goes the way Vegas has it, minus nine and a half, um, Foreman could see 15 to 20 carries this week. Um, you know, his floor could be five if the game goes wrong. That's the risk that, you know, you're giving the people the warning on, Ian. Um, but I don't see Jeremy McNichols or Dontrell Hilliard being that involved, even if both of them are active in the running game. If, if they were both active and they're going to use them both, I would see Foreman getting half of the early down half of the carries and the other half being split between those two guys. That's the way that I would look at it. Now you could also just see them have all three active and you could really see it just be about two guys with one of them with Hilliard, whether it's Hilliard or McNichols, I would say it's probably Hilliard that would be the backup right in the passing game, handling some special teams work, but it's a great running back strength of schedule spot, 10 out of 10 
Ooh. run blocking, offensive line, run blocking advantage, 75 on the week, which is second to there's a 99 hanging around out there for the 49ers against the Bengals. So second best offensive line run blocking advantage. So these things are all green on my Christmas tree. Nine and a half yeah. spread, 26.75 implied points, 10 out of 10 running back strength of schedule, 75 offensive line run blocking advantage. And then neutral, 23.7 defensive points allowed per game uh, PPR to opposing running backs by the Jaguars. But I, I would put Foreman at the top of that. He won't be in my top 24 running backs, but he'll be the first one you see just on the other side of 24. Um, and then you'll see Mitt Nichols and Hilliard further down the list. I would rather not play either one of those backs. Foreman would probably be the only one I'm willing to even, even throw a dart at. This weekend, I just the other two, I just can't tell you for sure what's going to happen. It could be good, but let's be honest, Ian. If anyone does it, you're either desperate, one, which is okay. Sometimes we just have to be desperate and you go with what you got. <laughs> two, you're just getting lucky, which is also okay. Sometimes it's good to be lucky, but there's not, I've looked at it every which way. There's nothing that tells you which one of these guys it's going to be. You could make an argument that it's Hilliard because he looked better, but then you could make an argument, well, Jeremy McNichols was actually the starter. He had the job before Hilliard. So, I mean, you can you can slice this many different ways, and most of them are all narratives. There's not any data there just to say it's got to be this player. Enough about that backfield. Um, Julio Jones could return this weekend as eligible. We haven't gotten a, They haven't pulled him off of IR yet. We probably won't hear until later in the week. But he does also pull a nice spot. Wide receiver strength of schedule, 10 out of 10. Julio, we know, has not really been himself this year, Ian. You know, he hasn't been great. But to your point, he also has not been bad. And we just really haven't seen a healthy stretch from him. So hopefully getting shut down like this, coming back, he can just be healthy down the stretch. We know the Titans need him. They do not have anyone else. There's a real opportunity here for Julio to see 25 30% target share if he can hang in there and be healthy enough. And look, guys, for a player like Julio, even if when they've lost some of their athleticism, like they've been playing long enough they know enough and he's 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 physical enough like he can still create separation and to do, do the things that he needs to do um he could he can survive like in this offense well is he going to be a top you know five receiver again no but i think we could see wide receiver three production from julio he could give us wide receiver two upside yards per route run are still over a two it is a smaller sample size because of injuries but it's not like he's bottomed out right and gone down now if that's low for julio this is a guy that we used to see in the mid threes so you're used to what you used to see. But just realize, over two yards per route run, there's not that many folks in the league that do that, you know, once you narrow it down for, you know, number of routes run. So Julio, I'm looking for him to come through for us this weekend. I am assuming that he's playing, you know, Ian. I've got him right now at wide receiver 29. So I've got him ahead of Tyler Boyd, got him ahead of Kenny Galladay, Cortland Sutton, Cole Beasley, all those times. I'll probably end up moving Beasley up because it's his own matchup against the Bucs in a high-scoring game. Um, I'll probably have Beasley right next to him. But I've got him up above uh, Michael Gallup, Christian Kirk. So, I mean, he's in the range of all those guys, but I know that he could he, he could be the focal point of his offense. Those other guys were basically hoping that all the, they're the guy that hits for their team this week, right? Um, besides Russell Gage, we could argue with Russell Gage. You know, that I've got him right next to Julio. I don't know which one I'll have ahead. Um, I'll, I'll do the opposite of what you do. Whichever one you have higher, <laughs> I'll put the other one higher. Um, as far as tight ends, again, it's a, it's a mess as well. So you're not going to mess with that for the Titans. Um, getting Julio back, I'm just not messing with any of the other receivers. I will have uh, Westbrook Akini. He'll be in my wide receiver tier six. I don't know exactly where he'll fall out. Somewhere in the 40s 
is where he'll be, maybe closer to 50. So, I mean, you know, he, you could end up using him if you're in a super deep format. Ryan Tannehill, I'd rather stay away from it, even in the great matchup. Um, but look, it, it is a good matchup. It's it's a 10 out of 10 also for quarterbacks. The Jags suck, man. <laughs> um, but like when you look at what uh, they give up to opposing, you know, quarterbacks, it's not that it's, it's more average 20.8, you know, um, from a fantasy points perspective, because why? Because they fall behind and the other teams get to do what run. What does Mike Rabel want to do? He wants to run the football. So I feel like if Ryan Tannehill is going to have a big game, he's going to have to do it like in the first quarter, first half, like on efficiency, him, him and Julio would just have to light it up because as soon as it happens or whatever way they get their lead, I have a feeling they're going to really lean into the running game. This is a team that trailed to the Patriots you know, uh, like, I don't know, 80% of the snaps. I have to go back and look again. I guess I can pull it up. I got it right here in front of me. But this is a team that trailed against the Patriots before, you know, the bye week. I'm uh, looking at it here. Sorry. this is. It was like the whole game. I mean. Yeah, it was like the whole game, but I've already got it pulled up now, Ian. It was the whole game. They trailed by four. They trailed by there four. There we go. <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry. They led by four or more, 0%, you know, of the snaps, you know, that game. So they never had a lead yet. They ran the ball. Uh, they trailed 94% of snaps by four or more points, and they still ran the ball 59% of the time. So this is a team that if they get ahead on the Jaguars, I can promise you they're going to run the ball plenty. They've ran the ball 51%, 58%, 50%, 45 45 47 Only a couple of games in here. There's a 31 and a 32, but that's it. Otherwise, they are a run-heavy team, and so that's why I like leaning on Foreman a little bit, but I want to stay clear of Tannehill. And just to save everyone some embarrassment when you're talking to your friends, significant others, you know, local children, whoever it might be. Julio Jones does not technically have a touchdown this year, but we are all counting that touchdown that he should have been rewarded against the Seahawks back in week two. Both feet were in just because the NFL wants us to believe that Julio Jones does not have a touchdown. Hashtag Julio has a touchdown this year. Put it into existence. It is crazy, though, that Julio, you go back, I and mean, he's been in the NFL since 2011, played at Bama for three years, and he has just one season with double-digit touchdowns. That was in 2012 with 10. Uh, this summer, at one point, I was kind of drunk, maybe had to smoke a little something too. But anyway, I got the great idea to go back and look at Julio's high school stats. Cause I was like, is there any way that Julio Jones has like never scored more than 10 touchdowns in his entire career? He went off in high school cause he's Julio freaking Jones, which makes sense, but you could imagine. Giants. At Did the he Chargers. play every what? position in high school? Probably, man. What a freaking stash. Who like dude, dude, you've seen that. I think Bleacher Report like did the cut up on it, but Julio has like a sick defensive highlight uh film from like the last like six, seven years of him just hawking dudes like on a interception return or le- he laid out Jeff Heath a couple years ago. You gotta remember that Cowboys. I know game. Jeff Heath, yeah. The goat, the goat Jeff Heath. Giants at the Chargers, Chargers ten and a half point favorites, game total at forty five. Jake Fromm. Probably starting with Daniel Jones with the neck injury, Mike Glennon concussion. Don't start anyone in this passing game. Kenny Galladay actually was looking okay to start last week. Immediately injures his ribs and starts to have trouble separating again. Shepard, Tony, they're banged up. Slayton's still there. Just don't do it. We'll save some time here. Don't do it. This team has 32 points since their Week 10 bye. Saquon Barkley is the only player that you are starting with any level of confidence. And it's not high for him. I will just say, though, he's getting enough usage that despite how disappointing these last three weeks have been, it's not like you run the risk of starting Saquon just having like an RB45 performance. He has still worked. 
as the RB19, the RB30, and the RB20. No, it's not who you drafted him to be, but also like some of the start sick questions I've been getting with Saquon are borderline insulting. You're still going to have to start him, treat him as an RB2. Low end at this point, I never thought we'd reach the day where we got to treat Saquon freaking Barkley, a healthy-ish version as a low end RB2. Uh, That's what happens when Jake freaking Fromm is under center. There is a chance, though, and I think uh, I might be willing to go in a few tournament lineups in DFS land with Saquon because the Chargers, this is the fifth worst defense in average tackle depth. We've talked about them all year, really usually being willing to let teams run the ball. And this has gone to teams that when you look at them, you know all they want to do is run the ball. The Browns went for 230 yards on the ground against this team. The Ravens, 187. Patriots, 142. Eagles, 176. Broncos, 147. Like, they haven't done a great job stopping teams even that want to do nothing other than run the football. Maybe, just maybe, Saquon can finally take some of this, you know, legit upside RB2 to RB1 usage he's getting and turn it into the actual production. So, wouldn't be overly confident in that one. Again, this offense is a complete dumpster fire right now, but Saquon should continue to be in the vast majority of starting lineups. Now, Dwayne, the Chargers, they got themselves a running back. His name is Austin Eckler. He's got 15 touchdowns in 12 games this year. It's like no one even cares. There's a lot, a lot of good things going on in L.A. these days, other than Keenan Allen being on the COVID list. Nathan Yonke cares. He cares, Ian. Yes, he does. So, yes, he does. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got Eckler as my number one overall back for the week. I told Tier of his own, you said, right? Yeah, a tier of his own. There's only nice. one player in tier one this week. He's got a 10.5 point spread. Guess what? Eckler doesn't care about spreads because he catches the ball so much. 28 implied points. Running back strength of schedule, 8 out of 10. Offensive line run blocking advantage of 59, which is the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6th best on the slate. I know you guys love to hear me count. Sorry about that. 26.4 fantasy points allowed per game to opposing running backs by the New York Giants. So Austin Eckler, absolute smash spot this week. Um, one, everything, one other thing, because I know you folks, you like this kind of stuff, so I'll nerd out with you for a second. Um, New York Giants run the seventh most. I'm Ron Burgundy. Oh, tenth most. No, ninth most. Ninth most uh, zone in the league. One of only uh, uh, 10 teams to run it on 70% or more of their plays. They use it 70.6% of the time. Whenever you look at the Chargers, and, and what's the thing in? What what do we throw? What position do we throw to more against for zone? Tight ends and running backs. Running backs. Ian knows this. Former linebacker. Knew he had to be ready. 26% targets per route run for Austin Eckler. That's the number one on the Chargers against zone coverage this year. Drops to 11.2% against man. Well, why? Because Keenan Allen is beasting out at 33.3%. Mike Williams kind of stuck between both of them. 22.2% and 20% versus man and zone targets per route run. We could be without Keenan Allen though this week. So if that happens, Mike Williams will be a top 12 fantasy wide receiver. We'll see. Uh, Ian and I haven't been able to find anything. When I say we, mostly Ian. I haven't really looked. <laughs> but Keenan Allen, uh, as far as if he's got a vaccination or not, but he was. So need- I, I'm, I'm just seeing this now. Brandon Staley called him day to day right now. Hopefully we'll have some good news on him in the next few days. I feel like, like when it happened with Cooper, they were like, look, he's not vaccinated. He is going to be out this week, like for sure. If Allen wasn't vaccinated, he would be out this week already. So just putting two and two together, I feel like we would know by now if he was for sure out. 
All right. You're definitely Sherlock. You're Sherlock. I'm only Holmes. So, um, yeah. I am not a doctor, just so everyone knows. <laughs> so, yeah, if Keenan does play, he'll be in the top 12 as normal. Mike Williams will be borderline wide receiver two, right? Could be more down in the wide receiver three range. We did see him run a, a route on 100% of Justin Herbert's uh, dropbacks last week, which was encouraging because he had been down in the 80% range. So that would be a positive. Um, but as you just heard from a minute ago, he's never like the focal point of the offense. Against man, it's going to be Keenan Allen. Against zone, it's Eckler, then Allen, then Mike Williams. Again, you're still playing with a great quarterback in Justin Herbert. You're playing with an offense that throws the ball more than the league average, no matter the game script. Trailing, close, leading, the Chargers want to throw the football. I've got Justin Herbert ranked as my QB7 on the week, one spot behind Dak Prescott, Prescott two behind Tom Brady. Um, so I've got Herbert looking at a minus 10 and a half point, you know, spread. So heavily favored. That's better for running backs, not necessarily quarterbacks, but they throw so much. It doesn't matter. 28 implied points. And then you've got an opposing defense that gives up 21 points per game to the opposing offense, which is average. But Justin Herbert, man, it's just a matter of they throw the soul. They throw the ball so much and they're willing to stick with it. Um, you just got to love it. Mike Williams on pace for a cool 1,200 receiving yards, 10 touchdowns. I cannot wait to bark with people that I will never meet on Twitter who try to just say, oh, take away is, you know, five big games and what did he really do for you all season? I know the second half pace is down. Just realize Mike Williams, good at football. Hopefully he gets all the targets his heart desires this week. Lions at the Broncos. Denver sitting as eight-point favorites. Game total is at 42. Look at the stretch I've had. Lions, Giants, Jaguars. Good okay. for me. Yeah, you should be. Uh, with these Lions, we're not going back to the well with this passing game. It was great last week. I listened to you guys, the Vikings cornerbacks, and how bad some of them are. They are the sixth worst defensive fantasy points per game allowed to quarterbacks. Broncos are the fifth best. So, good job, Jared. But, like, Dwayne, I, I got to think, man, that Lions team, like, they got, they got the win – I think they're done. Like I can see them start getting rolled over in some of these games now because to their credit, and you know, I brought up those like point differential stats. The Lions aren't even in the bottom four teams in terms of a point differential. They are 28. The Falcons, the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Texans have actually been getting beat down worse than the Lions uh, this year. I, I just don't think a spot in mile high is the time to get cute with an offense that, yeah, they scored 29 points last week. That was the first time they hit 20 literally since week one. So TJ Hawkinson, we know he can do his thing. Great player, one of the only tight ends that is, you know, likely to finish with the, his team's target lead week in and week out. So we're still firing up Hawkinson as a top six, I'd say, option at the position pretty much week in and week out. The running back room is where things get gross. This happens almost every time now, Dwayne. It's, it pisses me off every time, and I would think I'd become like immune to it at some point, but someone gets hurt. I guess DeAndre Swift like had most of the routes anyway, but like Jamal Williams is more or less being used like less than he was before as a receiver, even though DeAndre Swift is out of the picture. So last week, ideal game script, just 48% snaps, 17 carries, and only one target. And the problem was they're not using him really as a receiver. So purely from a routes perspective, we had Goblin, Igwe Buque. You know, just it's a name that I just know because I'm a professional and I make sure. Yeah, to, because we have know. people respond in our Twitter threads now that give us the pronunciation, <laughs> which I appreciate. <laughs> I do appreciate <laughs> it. 
Goblin Iguebuque, you know, it's just a name that I know and that I study and I'm able to produce it with the camera on. So just, you know, thought I'd bring that up. 25 routes for Goblin. Jamal has nine. Jamar Jefferson had just two. So yeah, that's incredibly problematic because again, we had Jamal have those 18 combined carries and targets, but that was in a game where they had the best possible game script that we can expect from the Lions. And I don't think they're going to get that in Denver as an eight-point dog. So Jamal is someone where... You know, Dwayne, I'm still just thinking about the running backs ranks you were kind of listing. Like, I probably would put him in that tier under the James Robinson kind of point. Is that where you have him? Uh, right now, I've got Jamal. I guess like, I'd put Robinson over him, but they could be in that same tier, I guess. Yeah, I've got them. Uh, sorry, where is where uh, Robinson? Yeah, I've got Jamal. I've got Jamal Williams. Yes. Right in that same tier. Sorry. Okay, yes. I didn't find it. Very so, volatile. Yeah. Like, but it could, maybe this time next week we're having a different conversation, but we need to see what this looks like in our usual game script when the Lions are going to be trailing uh, by seven or more points, as we expect them to do for most of the remainder of the season. So if we come back next week and the Lions, they're still going to find a way to get Jamal the ball 15 to 20 times per game, even when they lose by 30. Okay, then maybe we can move Jamal up uh, in the future. Right now, though, I'll probably be answering most close start-sit questions with the other guy because we're not getting the targets, and Lord knows we aren't getting many scoring opportunities more weeks than not inside this offense so tj hawkinson really has been the with all due respect to deandre swift tj hawkinson he has been you know our most consistent guy of the year with detroit continue to fire him up with confidence and that is about it and now Dwayne, we got everyone's favorite overall reigning rb1 from week 13 javante williams but melvin gordon might be coming back I would hope that Javante gets featured, but man, we've been saying this for like the last two months. When Gordon's back, we're probably going to see something close to what they were doing before. Yeah, I mean, you're hoping. We don't have any data to say that it's going to happen. Like, so again, it's kind of one of those things where if anybody wants to tout Javante, like being in their top 12 or whatever this week, I mean, great, but there's no data to support it other than, <laughs> well, he just looked great. But I mean, we can't predict human being behavior. We've talked about it multiple times. All we can do is just really, you know, share the data. Um, I, we're hopeful that Javante, to your point, is in the lead half of a split, um, which we have seen him do. We've seen him be more around, you know, the 55, 60%, you know, of the snaps threshold versus, you know, first half of the season. It was definitely Gordon more on the front half. And then, you know, having Williams as being the second half and kind of a 55-45 type situation. So at least now we have flipped it and we are seeing Williams a little bit more. Maybe this game will show the coaches that they need to get Javonta more involved. And look, for heaven's sake, like if Teddy Bridgewater just wants to check the freaking ball down all day long when you have Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and Tim Patrick, Noah Fant, you know, which you've paid all of these guys at this point, you know, you've got draft equity, draft capital tied up in them, but let's check it down to the running backs. I mean, that's a great way to go. Teddy freaking Bridgewater checks the ball down more than any other quarterback in the league um, with a minimum of 300 dropbacks at 11% of the time. Again, one more time. Good job, Teddy. We really appreciate it. Did come through good for Javonta Williams, though. Um, you know, who we have seen get used a little bit more in the passing game lately, but we've seen Melvin Gordon in the games where they've been in together still be the lead back as far as getting the rushing attempt. So maybe, Ian, maybe we could just see Jav I would be happy if we could just get to a situation where Javante was just a slightly ahead in all those categories. 
right? I think that would be workable. Then we could just feel really comfortable about him as far as just knowing that, look, the ability's there and we could grade him as a low-end RB2 with upside every week, right? He could come up with the big play because he's getting enough touches and he could still sneak into the RB1 ranks each week. The way it was earlier in the season, you almost had to think of him more as a high-end RB3 and hope he could sneak his way into the RB2 range. You know, every once in a while he did, he had a couple of games where he snuck into the RB1 range, but it's just going to be a situation where it's probably still going to be, you know, this committee, everybody's going to be mad. We're all going to act surprised on Twitter on Sunday. Oh my God, look at this. Um, But it's probably what's coming. So just go ahead and brace yourselves, folks. I have Javante Williams right now, though, at running back 17 on the week. I've got Melvin Gordon at running back 22 on the week. So I've still got them both pretty close. And again, those haven't been fine-tuned yet. Gordon probably ends up more towards 24, 25, whenever, maybe like 26 when everything's said and done. I already see, a, already see two players that I would move ahead of Gordon once I go ahead and tighten these things up. But I do have Javante in, in the lead. That's the moral of the story. At 8.7 um, running back strength and schedule out of 10, which is top five on the week. You got an eight-point um, favorite you know, with the Broncos. So that's going to be in the top three, top four spreads as far as not double digits, like a couple of these I'm seeing where you got Eckler and Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, they've got bigger spreads, but um, you've got the Chiefs with a slightly bigger spread. So it's like the fourth biggest spread, which is good for running backs. And then you've got the Lions giving up 27 points to opposing running backs per game, which is going to be in the top five of what's available on the slate. And then I've mentioned this multiple times, but the Lions, they love to trail. They trail in the top three of the league. And therefore, what happens? Teams run the ball a whole lot against the Lions because by the time the second half comes around, you don't really need a passing game if you're playing against, right. playing against the Lions. So there's a lot of there's a lot of outs for, for Javante Williams this week, which which is why I have him ranked so high, even thinking that we're going to have Melvin Gordon back because 30.4 rushing attempts per game given up by the Lions in regulation over the last six weeks, 28.3 on the season. They rank fourth in both of those categories, whether you're looking at last six or the average. Now let's talk about the opposite. Let's talk about the receivers. Okay. I probably should change my tone and everything. I should be like, Jerry, Judy. <laughs> what what pisses been? me off the most about this, Dwayne, is like, Teddy, I know it wasn't the strongest schedule to start, but like he was giving us some yeah. boom games in the first six weeks. And he's been great gone. against man coverage, and which is what the Chiefs ran the whole time <sighs> last week. Um, so it's like, Teddy, I felt like could have a game. I mean, Teddy just was not comfortable in that game. Like, you could see it. Not comfortable, like, at all. So... It's just tough to do anything with these receivers, Ian. I've got Jerry Judy right now, uh, borderline. Uh, I've got him wide receiver 30, so I've still got him in my third tier. But I don't feel great about it, you know? I mean, to tell you, like, the players I've got him around, like, I like Van Jefferson more. I like Odell Beckham Jr. more. I think I like Julio. I do like Julio Jones more because he's probably going to be the focal point of his offense. You get yeah. to Tyler Boyd, now you're – Still, Tyler Boyd probably slightly more, you know, even at this point. Um, Russell Gage, I like more than Jerry Judy. So he's going to be at the bottom of this tier that I have him. And he really belongs next to these other names I'm about to give you. Kenny Galladay, Cortland Sutton, Michael Gallup. Uh, I'm not going to go as low as A.J. Green. I'll keep him above that. <laughs> so, But it's just tough, man. I mean, Sutton is That's a teammate. That's the line. Out. It's just, look, you have a defensive-minded coach in Vic Fangio. We're going to play against the Lions. 
what is Vic Fangio going to do? He's going to use his two running backs. <laughs> you know, he's going to basically, if he can, not have Teddy Bridgewater throwing any passes. We've got what has to happen is the you have to come up with a miracle situation with the Lions, and they Lions have had a few miracles up their sleeves over the last couple of weeks, but they would have to turn it into a game. And then that would then necessitate the Broncos needing to throw more. But even once you get that to happen, right, and that's a variable you're just hoping for because the odds aren't in your favor, then you have to pick the right receiver of all these guys to be the one that gets to go off because it's going to be really tough for two to do it. And so it's just a situation where you're, you're just honestly, you're guessing. You're guessing between Judy. You're guessing between Galladay. Tim Patrick could be just as likely to be the guy getting getting the work. Now, Judy has been the best against man coverage. He has been the mess, best as far as separating, um, but it's still it's just evenly spread. No matter whether you're looking at man, you're looking at zone, I've looked at it every way to find, like, is there an angle to which Broncos receiver to start? And the answer is no. Let's move on. No offense included with the receivers. I sp- I'm, I'm going to condense, like, some of my articles next year because I literally spend, like, six hours just – pounding through my wide receiver cornerback stuff every single Wednesday. So sometimes when I'm on this podcast, I'm a little bit weaker than my full, you know, Super Saiyan self uh, by the time Thursday rolls around. But just with this Broncos team, bro, Teddy threw the ball 40 times on Sunday night. That's the second highest mark of the year. It feels like he threw it 12. And not a single receiver. Devontae had nine targets, but not any of his wide receivers had more than six targets. Like, that was best case overall volume. And the guy still has to spread it around between, like, six, seven different parties. Please give us Russ Rogers. And we're not picky. Just give us someone other than Teddy in Denver next year. And someone other than Drew Locke, too. But I do enjoy, uh, Dwayne, do you see when Teddy threw that pick and Sorison came back? Boy, Teddy went for that tackle. He heard enough bullshit from the media. He went for that tackle. He did not make the tackle, but uh, credit to you for trying yeah. there, Teddy. No one could take that so, one dude, away from you. Listen to this. So Jerry Judy got single man coverage 11 times <sighs> on the game. Teddy threw it in those situations towards Jerry Judy two times. Good luck. That's Jerry Judy operating like underneath in the slot a lot. <laughs> Got targeted twice. If we look at Cortland Sutton, how many times did he get single man coverage? He got it 17 freaking times. 17 times Cortland Sutton was singled up on the outside. He got four targets from Teddy in that situation. 23%, not the worst ever. Um, and then let's look real quick at Tim Patrick, and we can stop talking. Broncos passing attack he got and I'll tell you I mean this is what this is what the Chiefs do I mean he got 16 single man coverage looks he got open on five of those not great 31% of the time only targeted twice when he had single man coverage like and Tim Patrick's a guy yeah he can separate but he's also he and Sutton are Sutton are guys that hey dude we're open even though we're not open like just get it to us and so it's just a situation where Teddy is just a misfit. People talk, you know, people are confused and they think Derek Carr doesn't throw the ball down the field. Like I get into this with people <laughs> on Twitter all the time. And he really is a good deep ball thrower. He does like receivers that are open. He doesn't like to throw 50-50 contested balls. Like, and Teddy definitely suffers from that. I don't think he likes, if he doesn't think a guy's wide open, he does not want to throw him the ball. And that's just really tough, especially on Cortland Sutton's game. 49ers at the Bengals since this Shut up, Dwayne. We're done with this game. Game. <laughs> game total at 47 and a half. Jimmy G didn't have his best game last week. Still has been more good than bad, but it's always really been more good than bad when he's in San Fran because when you look at Kyle Shanahan, I brought up the points per game static. He's only led like three top 20 offenses and points per game here over the past decade, but you see some stuff that you're just like, okay, 
yeah, that dude's a freaking genius with some of the play calls. And one of those things is their consistent excellence throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. Screen games, the pop passes, getting George Kittle on those bootlegs. Like, they are so good at designing these yak plays. I think that's why we see both Debo Samuel and George Kittle among the league's top five receivers in yards per outrun over the past two seasons. But again, specifically on those passes behind the line of scrimmage. Over the past four years with Shanny doing his thing, they've ranked third, second, third and fifth and these types of passes truly does just make life so easy for jimmy g and hopefully one day in the future trey lance as well but we know with jimmy what we're getting it is going to be a situation where they're going to try to run the ball as much as possible we would think but this is like a walking graveyard at this point Dwayne and i recorded the waiver wire podcast at like Four o'clock, finish, you know, around five, and then like an hour later, the news comes out that Elijah Mitchell in the concussion protocol and Jeff Wilson's surgically restructured knee is quote unquote flaring up. So he's going to be out a couple days at least. Trey Sermon's on the IR with the ankle, Raheem Mostert's on IR with the knee, leaving us Jermichael Hasty to seemingly be Mr. RB1. Relax, though. We're not going to see, I don't think, Hasty. if all these guys do end up missing time, we're not going to see Hasty get the Mitchell 80-90% snap roll. We saw this with Trey Sermon. Like, when Shanahan has his back pressed against the wall, he's not just going to necessarily give the next guy up all these touches because he trusts Kyle Juszczyk, and if he's back, he'll trust Debo Samuel, even with that groin injury, to play a lot of snaps at running back. So Mitchell, if he can clear the protocol, he's earned this weekly RB1 treatment. He's being used more as a receiver now. And, you know, with Wilson, banged up too and just make things uh, that much better for him if we do end up having a situation where hasty is the only guy like Dwayne I think we'd have him as an RB too but he's yeah. not someone I'd be saying like we need to have in the lineup yeah but I mean he would he would definitely be in the RB2 conversation anytime you get a 49er yeah. backfield isolated to one player and it pretty much would have to be him because we Trey Sermon's on IR use check is a fullback like so he's not going to get a ton of carries um Hasty would probably be inside my top 15 or 16. Remember, it's not a great week for backs. Like, there's a bunch of weird matchups yeah. going on. So I think that in itself could play a role. You could surprise yourself. Like, he could end up pushing, like, up towards, you know, I agree with you, you probably wouldn't get him into the top 12. But I think he'd be pretty close to that. It's not the delete and paste Henderson, Michelle situation that we've right. talked about, but he, he still would be a good play to have. So feel free, go get hasty there on the waiver wire. Dwayne, you know, we had Sony as like our lead, go get him absolutely running back. And there was a bunch of mess. I think hasty deserves to be the second number two waiver back behind uh, Sony. You agree? Yep. Yeah. Cool. Now on the passing game, Relax, I'm Brandon Ayuk. I know last week wasn't exactly what we were looking for with Debo, but he's still playing over 90% of the snaps. You know, George Kittle, incredible. PFF's highest uh, graded tight end last week. He's probably not going to catch nine passes for 181 yards and two touchdowns every single week of the year. We'll see some of that come back towards Kittle. I'm still going to have him as a borderline wide receiver too. Maybe even just inside top 24. Always have my ranks done on Wednesday morning. So we'll see how that pans out. But Ayuk remains a recommended start. Certainly capable of winning in Cincinnati. I think I saw... I didn't get the update. I thought I saw Chidobia Wuzier get hurt pretty you bad. Okay, I don't know how he bad is. it was, um, but he definitely was shaken up in that game. 
we need to keep an eye on that because like Chidobe has been a top 10, top 12 uh, cornerback for PFF this year in terms of coverage grade. Mike Hilton has actually been playing uh, more good ball than not from the slot. But then there's Eli Apple, who's like been one of the bottom 20 cornerbacks in the entire league this year among 120 plus qualified guys. So if we can get a situation where it's Ayuk against a Chidobe Awuzie less Bengals secondary, that it would be a legit upgrade for the talented second year receiver. I think that's my last point. Just a quick cool stat I found. Elijah Mitchell, league high, 182 touches without a fumble or drop this year. Second place is David Montgomery with 154. Third place, Devontae Freeman with 112. Nobody else with more than triple digit uh, touches. So Mitchell, you know, it's one of those things where he has never even given Shanahan a small chance to get in that doghouse. You know, I'm knocking on wood. I hope I didn't just jinx it, but shout out to Mitchell for being really the most sure-handed player in the league up to this point. Now, Dwayne, the Bengals have themselves some pretty good uh, weapons on offense as well, but we have not seen Jamar Chase provide his usual goodness. I did find one cool stab before I throw it over to you with Chase. This does not include yards after the catch because we can't really track that on a on a drop. You know, we don't know how far the guy could have ran with the ball. But just based on the target depth of the drops this year, Jamar Chase has lost a league high 120 yards to drops on the year. He's the wide receiver 11 in PPR points per game. I'm not going to like knock him in ranks like presenting this stat or anything. It has been frustrating, Dwayne, though, because we've been on him hoping for the big bounce back game. As we saw last week, he had the opportunities, just hasn't been able to come down with them in recent weeks. Yeah, and you have to think that it's eventually, it's going to hit. Um, yeah. But I mean, silently, and I've kind of been beating this drum and I love Chase, but T. Higgins is the number one receiver on this team. <laughs> Targets per route. Versus man, 30%. Chase, 25%. Versus zone, 24%. Chase, 19%. And we're just now seeing Higgins really healthy, and he is in a complete rhythm with Joe Burrow. Look, they are both great players. But right now, like Higgins is really the guy um, that we should probably be ranking higher in the fantasy ranks. Like, And he looks great as well. And, and look, this is not to take anything away from Jamar Chase. We all love him, but T. Higgins, at a minimum, like they should just be ranked really close together. So if you think it's a big Jamar Chase week, you might as well think it's a big T. Higgins week because, to be honest, <laughs> we can't tell you for sure which one it's going to be. The good news is, like, I do think, and we've seen this, like when there are games where both of these guys can have nice games, it's usually those two, right? We, we don't see many weeks where uh, you can have all three really be good. And typically, if Tyler Boyd is good, that's going to knock one of the other two out. Um, the other thing we got to keep an eye on is Joe Burrow. He did hurt his pinky finger in that game. Still managed to gut it out for 300 yards in, in the in the contest. But, like, he did not look the same. I, I had that game on a lot. And he didn't look the same, you know, after, after the injury. Like, I was surprised that he was able to do what he was able to do. So we'll see if they get that figured out this week. You know, it's, a, it's a, just a thing with his grip. You know, I don't think it's an issue where it's he's in danger of missing the game. It's just really more performance. Like, how well is Joe Burrow going to play? So we'll fi figure it out. Like, is it going to be something where – because with a quarterback, it's tricky. Like, just with, with a receiver, like, you would just tape them together. You, you might do something with a glove or a splint. But a quarterback, based on the way they grip the ball, like, they use all five of their fingers and just – depends on like how the quarterback is used to throwing like if they can change that very much so have to keep an eye on it but overall like look you're gonna you're, you're gonna start your Bengals receivers you don't really care you're playing against the 49ers and you just heard those stats I gave you the, the 49ers are a borderline 70% zone team they actually just dropped out of that this past week using a little bit more man coverage 
but last as of last week they were in they were in that group of teams that use zone on 70% or more other plays. So I've got Jamar Chase and T and uh, T Higgins right now inside of my top 15 both receivers. So you're you're going to start them both. You're going to use them. Um, Tyler Boyd this weekend I have got as my wide receiver 32. So he'll be he'll be in my tier 4. Boyd's tougher, you know, to trust, but he's come through with a few decent games lately. He doesn't give you the upside that we used to get, right? We just don't get these eight and ten catch performances anymore. Those are kind of the days gone by. I guess he could he could end up coming up with one, but when you have T. Higgins and you have Jamar Chase, that's just really where your attention's going to be because they just give you the chance any play you throw him the ball in to score a touchdown, which Tyler Boyd really doesn't get for as good as a player as he is. He is a possession receiver. He doesn't give you. Um, that same kind of upside. So I get why Joe Burrow is targeting the other two players. As far as Joe Mixon goes, we did see this last week that he is still susceptible to a game script. He basically got written out of this game. He did score a touchdown, and that really saved you. But on passing downs, long down and distance, two-minute offense, all of that, it was really all Samaji Pirine, which was a trend that we had noted for three or four weeks. I had actually put him in my cell high. Finally, I just gave up and moved him out of it because I was like, <laughs> what am I going to do? Like, it, well, Because, like, look, the Bengals are playing good. Their offensive line is playing well, and Joe Mixon is playing well. So utilization is important, but it's not everything. If you've got somebody that's scoring touchdowns, they're still getting – you know, and the thing is – in most games, Mixon's going to see 70 80% of the rushing attempts. It just so happened they were in a game last week where they didn't get to run the ball that much because they were trailing uh, by a lot very early and for the whole game. So it was an extreme script, you know, against the Chargers that got him really written out. Um, but it is, it's it's a possibility. You play the 49ers. They've got a capable offense. Um, I, I like Mixon more this week, though. So I have got Mixon back inside of my top eight right now. Actually, I've got him at RB8, but I've got him below. Um, I've got Eckler ahead, Harris ahead, Madison ahead, Fournette ahead, David Montgomery ahead, Josh Jacobs ahead, Eli, Elijah Mitchell ahead, and then I've got Joe Mixon. So that might actually be nine, is it? Yeah, so, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something he's like he's RB nine for me, and Kamara uh, would would move ahead of him if he's active. So Mixon would fall. You know, I don't know. I may have Kamara around the same spot just because we. I want to see a week of of him playing. My assumption with with Kamara like is once they play him, like he's healthy, right? But I'd yeah. rather it not be Taysom Hill. I think that'd be the right uh, area. But yeah, RB nine. Why not? Because as he's got nine. Because he's got nine straight games with a touchdown. Only Jonathan Taylor has more with 10. Third place, for those wondering, James Conner at six. Great day to be a great running back. Bills at the Buccaneers. Tampa Bay, three and a half point favorites. Game total of 52 and a half. Got to just throw out a lot of what we saw in that snowball. I saw a lot of people getting on. Dawson Knox, I get it when you only need a couple points in your Monday night game. Like, yeah, we want the guys to not dud, but it's also pretty hard to play, you know, with the wind gusts of like 150 miles per hour, whatever the hell number they were throwing out there. And, you know, like Josh Allen is great. He has that rocket of an arm. But, man, oh, man, I, I'm, I'm not blaming like any of these drops. So when Stefan Diggs had that deep ball go off his arm in the end zone, it's Stefan Diggs. I'm sure he catched that if he wasn't playing 
playing in a blizzard. And he also had what uh, Peyton Manning called a missed touchdown opportunity. Peyton, this is a sheesh, man. That's all you have to say. You're using three words and so many syllables. I have one. It's a synonym for, synonym for sheesh. So there you go, Peyton. You know, feel free to take that one. Use it on the Manning cast uh, in the future. But also had that back shoulder opportunity at the end of the game that Josh couldn't put on him because, again, all that wins. So Josh Allen, Diggs, we know what we're doing here, everyone. We are starting them with all the confidence in the world. And even Allen, man, even though he has had this like roller coaster of a year that we brought up week in and week out. Week one, he was uh, PFF's 16th highest grade QB in passing grade. That's the only time all year he has finished between QB 10 and QB 20. He's been really freaking good or really not good in real life. Hasn't mattered in fantasy. Only Kyler and Tom Brady are averaging more fantasy points per game. Even before Josh Allen became a real life god, he was always a fantasy god. Continue to treat him as such. I guess the question is, can we get behind these other receivers? Because Lord knows we can't touch this backfield. Zach Moss was back in action and really he ended up working as the number two back in that Monday night game. Matt Breida made it like just, you know, Peyton was pretty pissed about it too. Like, come on, bro. Inside, arm up. How many times have you taken a handoff? What the hell are you doing, man? He got benched after the fumble and it kind of made sense too. So, who knows what's going to happen. Who knows if he'll be active again. But even then, like when we were talking about uh, Baltimore and how great it is that Devontae Freeman has this backfield all to himself. It's because when you have these dual threat QBs, you kind of start to have metrics like this where Bill's running backs are tied for 30th in the NFL and carries. They're tied for 27th and carries inside the five yard line. And they're tied for 21st and targets. Like some of these numbers, the five yard line number, for example, could be due to just playing on a bad offense. I think we all know that's not the Bills. It's just a lack of opportunity because of the way Josh Allen plays quarterback. So we just can't get behind these running backs, particularly not against a Tampa Bay defense that has and the biggest pass funnel defense in the league. Offenses, opposing offenses have thrown 71.5% of the time in non-garbage time situations. Buffalo already throws at the fourth highest rate of the year. Let's see it, Josh. 60 passes. Who says no? Certainly not Josh Allen. So Josh Diggs, I'm going back to well with Dawson as a top probably eight to nine tight end. Not, wor not too worried about the one down game. He's had these problems. Before his two-touchdown game on Thanksgiving, he like led the week with three drops before. It's nothing new. If we see him all of a sudden suffer this like radical drop in playing time, then okay, we'll need to adjust with that. But I'm not going to let just one bad game fully reduce performance for something that we have seen be a major part of this offense. So hopefully this is the week that Cole Beasley and Manuel Sanders get going. Where do you have Manny and Beasley, Dwayne? And then he can roll right into the Buccaneers and, you know, talk about whoever you want because Lord knows there's enough uh, ballers <laughs> everywhere there. Yeah, I have got Beasley right now at wide receiver 36. Uh, I do like the matchup for Beasley because the Bucks are one of the one of the heaviest zone teams. Um, in the league, and so which is interesting because they ran quite a bit of man last year, but this year has been pretty this, much all. This done. feels and, like it could be a sneaky like Beasley ten eleven reception game. Yeah, and they've dealt with a lot of injuries uh, the Bucks have in the secondary, so that could be part of it. But yeah, it could be a sneaky situation for Beasley. Um, I'm just looking right now, like I've got uh, the Bucks pulled up, but let me add the Bills in real quick too. So like I'll just give folks since the Bucks are such a heavy. Uh, sorry, since the Bills. Uh, yeah, the Bucks are such a heavy uh, zone defensive team. Like, here are the Bills' targets per route run versus man and zone. Um, Diggs is a 34%, 22% alpha stud beast. Then you get Cole Beasley, 14% targets per route run against man, jumps to 25% versus Ooh. zone and is first on 
the Bills. So uh, anyway, I'll move Cole Beasley up my ranks. Like he's going to yeah. be, he'll be probably borderline RB2, just like looking at this data. Emmanuel Sanders is a 13% target share versus uh, man, targets are not target share, targets per route run, and then 15% targets per route run versus zone. Dawson Knox it's, is 15 It's and Beasley week. It's Beasley it's week, Beasley. and you all heard it here first on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Beasley week, good teamwork. Rolling straight into the Buccaneers. I'm um, looking at the Bucs. I'm going to start over with the, the running backs, though, for the Bucs, and I'll come back to Brady and the receivers. So it's interesting. Like with the Bills, like they've really been a bad matchup for Bucks all for running backs all year long. But now over the last six games, man, they're giving up 30.7 rushing attempts per game. Now, this Monday night thing, like – makes it skewed, right? You had all this win, so all yeah. the Patriots did was were, was run the football. But even before that, before if you take out, you know, this last game, uh, they gave up 46 rushing attempts to the Patriots on Monday night uh, who, you know, what did they run? Like three or four passing plays. But in week 11, they gave up 45 rushing attempts. So it's not like this is new. So listen to the Bills rushing attempts allowed in regulation, excluding overtime. And this is over the season. It was really low, 20, 17, 19, 17, 16, 22, 21. Now listen to it start going up, 27, 21, 45, 24, 46. So the Bills, you know, it is a situation where you can run the ball more against them. They've gotten a little bit banged up on defense. They're banged up in the secondary too with Tredavious, with Tredavious White out for the season. We'll talk about the receivers here in a second. But that really, really the big point here is Leonard Fournette. So Leonard Fournette, you know, I, you know, if you look at him, he's basically, it's not basically, he is an every down back all the time now. This is two weeks in a row where we've seen all the passing work go to Fournette. We've seen pretty much all the rushing work go to Fournette. It is basically uh, Ronald Jones isn't getting to, isn't getting like every third drive like we saw at the very beginning of the season. Like he's getting one out of five drives, right? And you got Gio Bernard just barely getting on the field at all. So this is all Fournette all the way with this recent trend against Buffalo. I feel good about Fournette. Fournette's going to, should be in your top six backs every week, no matter what at this yeah. point. He's, he's a top five for me. I upgraded him in the utilization report to top five rest of the way um, today. And I've actually got him ranked as my number three back on this slate, despite the fact that Buffalo has been a little bit tougher against backs, 21.5 points given up to opposing running backs. The only negative for Fournette on this is really that the, the Bills run a lot of man coverage, but that could change, Ian. We could see that change when you lose your top corner like White. Sometimes you'll see these schemes flip around a little bit. So I'll be interested to see that. But right now, the Bills run the sixth most man coverage in the league. But what's interesting is how they mix it up. They are the third, they're the third most in six or quarters coverage, which is where you get a lot of your two high looks that we hear about, you know, all the time. So they run like this weird mix. They're either running zone or they're running like this max coverage deep down the field. And so what you, you want to know what coverage gives up the most um, passing, you know, targets per route run to opposing running backs. Those coverages, those coverages, those right, two, right. those two zone cover, any two high coverage that you have really. Um, you know, is are the ones that quarters is a little bit less, but the cover six and uh, cover two are the two that give yep. up the most. So Fournette could still come through, but the man coverage scares me a little bit because whenever you look at the Bucks pecking order, um, you know, with these uh, run with these pass, sorry, with these run with these man heavy coverages coming against them. Um, Chris Godwin's really been the lead guy this, this season, along with Gronkowski, 26% targets per route run versus man, 27% for Gronk. Mike Evans used to be the dude against man coverage, not as much, still good, 22%, but Godwin used to be like mainly a slot guy, but really this year they're using him a lot more 
uh, sorry, it used to be more versus zone, but this year they're using them a lot more against man coverage. Um, and when you look at Leonard Fournette, which is really like the main point I was going towards here, and then I just started blabbering, 19% <laughs> targets per route run versus man, which is still really high for running backs, to be honest. Usually you'll see backs drop down to like, five, eight, nine percent in those scenarios. So that's interesting, but it's higher against zone 26%. So Lenny's in my top three for the week. Nothing's going to really move him out. Talking about Tom Brady, it is a tough matchup for Brady, but again, we have White gone, but man, the Bucks, on, uh, the Bills only give up 12.7 points to opposing quarterbacks points per game. You do have to include, that's including the New England matchup from Monday night where the Patriots didn't even try to throw the ball. So, But still, it was the toughest matchup before that, right? It isn't just that that's skewing the numbers completely, but it's still Tom Brady, so I'm going to keep him in my top five, Ian. This is the lowest, probably one of the lowest I've, spots I've ranked Brady all year. I think five has been my lowest so far. So he'll match that um, quarterback strength of schedule of a 2.4 out of 10 um, offensive line pass block advantage is still solid though. It's a 26, which is the number one on the slate. Um, and we know Brady's going to throw the ball plenty. So I've got him in the top five, got Chris Godwin right now and Mike Evans, both in my tier two wide receivers. I have Godwin slightly ahead of Evans at wide receiver 15. Oh, actually I've got Evans in my tier three now. And so I've got Evans at wide receiver 22. So still both wide receiver twos, but I have Godwin slightly higher. And then I have Rob, uh, Rob Gronkowski, whoever Grog is. Uh, maybe they have another brother. There's so many Gronkowskis. You got to keep up with these Gronkowski boys. Um, feel like like the good old boys should be playing like by Waylon Jennings <laughs> or something. Uh, Gronkowski I've got at tight end five. It is a tough matchup as well. Tight end strength of schedule two out of 10. The Bills give up 8.3 points to opposing tight ends. That's that's pretty gross, but it is Gronk, and we've seen Brady show the love for Gronkowski. Uh, I feel like we should post that meme that you showed me, where it's where it's Brady <laughs> and Gronk just giggling. It is a great it's a it's a great uh, quick clip. But anyway, Gronk's in my top five for the week. Bro, I feel like five might be too low. He's now legit averaging more fantasy points per game than Travis Kelsey, and that includes the emergency-only one-target goose egg game. If you look at, if you just take fantasy points per game, You're wide right. receivers and before. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't but know uh, just just how it's above him. Just a cool uh, note here because I was thinking like, you know, sometimes maybe you drafted Travis Kelsey, but you were lucky enough to scoop up uh, Rob Gronkowski at some point. I think there's four tight ends that should be starting no matter what. Even if you have multiple of them, you can put them in the flex because they've been that productive. And we have four tight ends in our top 24 highest scoring fantasy guys per game, wide receivers and tight ends. Gronk is the receiver 15, if you want to call it that. Kelsey's right behind him, uh, 17th, because Gronk's tied with Adam Thielen. Then we got George Kittle as receiver 21 and Mark Andrews as receiver 24. So Kittle, Andrews, Kelsey, and Gronk, if you happen to have two of them on your team somehow, maybe I'm only talking to two or three of you out there, find a way to get both those guys in your starting lineups. On to the night games, two more. Appreciate you guys sticking with us as always. Bears at the Packers, Green Bay, 12 and a half point favorites. Game total at 43 and a half. Please be back, Justin Fields. It's just so much more fun to watch. I know he holds the ball a lot still. He's making more turnover-worthy plays than Andy. He was making more turnover-worthy plays than Andy Dalton. But that's that's one of those funny things, uh, Dwayne. Like guys like Jimmy uh, Garoppolo, Andy Dalton, like they're Ben Rosberg, even like there's 
the biggest selling point for them is that they're in the game to be this like game manager. Like what the hell happens when they throw their four picks and then it's like they can't even do that part right. So anyway, I just enjoy quarterbacks that can at least give you those wow throws a few times a game. And Fields has been doing that. His big time throw rate, 6.9%. Very nice. Fourth in the league, Dalton at 3.1% comes in at 27th among 39 qualified quarterbacks. So you're not playing either of them in fantasy, obviously, but please, Justin, get back. Love it watching you play football. Darno Mooney. Dwayne, you were rightfully lower on him last week. That was one of my bigger misses. Obviously, the weather didn't really help. I'm not saying you need to be completely out on him, but just with the way this passing game is going, I mean, you know, they can't play the Lions every single week. We're going to see some serious, uh, seriously low floors. Mooney probably projects more so as a low-end wide receiver two, more likely a wide receiver three. That might have, you know, the workload of a wide receiver one more weeks than not. It's just tough to be too excited about him. Uh, again, as long as Dalton is here, continue doing uh, Red Rock at things. The one diamond in the Chicago Bears offense is David Montgomery. We've told you guys, stay patient. The, the you know utilization is there. The usage is there. Everything is there. And now we're getting a cozy schedule down the stretch. Packers have been better against the run this year. They're eighth in PPR points per game allowed to opposing backs. In terms of fantasy, though, if you look behind the scenes a little bit, yards before contact numbers, things like that, you could you know talk yourself into Montgomery having a good game here. After that, there's like no debate needed. So we got the Vikings, the Seahawks, and the Giants up until week 17. I'm sure the trade, it, it's going to be hard. We told you guys last week, like Montgomery, if you had your trade deadline, he was the guy to go out and get. If for some reason you're in a league that still does, have trades going and someone wants to give up Montgomery, I would go get him before the stretch because we got at the Packers. That looks bad, but after that, truly borderline erotic stuff for Dave Montgomery. So start Dave Montgomery, maybe Darnell Money, depending on your roster, and that is about it. And just always remember that Jimmy Graham has a no trade clause. Now, Dwayne, maybe it is a Jimmy Graham week revenge game here against the Packers. I really freaking doubt it, though. Luckily, for the Packers, though, they got their backfield fully healthy. Jones was healthy before the bye, but it was a game-time decision thing. We should be seeing, you know, both guys close, closest to 100% they've been in quite some time. What do you make of it, though, man? Because I think A.J. Dillon has been playing a little bit too good to be fully relegated to a true backup role. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, Jones is a player that I've had to downgrade in the utilization report <clears throat> just because of the way that Dillon has looked. And so now he's in my tier three. He used to be in my tier one or two every single week. There was not a week that Aaron Jones was outside the top 12. I've got him at RB 16 this week. I've got Dylan at 25, um, you know, but I, and again, I haven't finalized them. I've got him one tier below. I think that's about right. I do think that Jones sees slightly more work than Dylan, but I think we could be in a situation like the Denver backfield, right? That we've talked about where it's really more of a 55-45, a 40-60 thing. Um, and it's a game where, look, if they want to be cautious with Jones, they're 12 and a half point favorites. It's like, so if there is a week to use Dylan and still feel fine about using him as basically kind of that low end RB2, borderline RB2, I think this week you can still feel fine with it, even though we know Aaron Jones is probably fully healthy um, because of, you know, just the spread. And there's probably, he's going to score a touchdown most likely, right? Just the way this game's going to go for the Packers. Um, so I feel good about both backs. Obviously, um, Jones has been moved down. Uh, 12 and a half point favorites, 28 point implied, uh, 28 implied points, a 7.6 out of 10 on the running back strength of schedule. Um, 22.4 points allowed per game to opposing running backs by the Bears. That doesn't really bother me. Like their their defense has been decimated. A lot of what was keeping that stat, you know, going is not on the field anymore at this point, you know, for the Bears. So 
I feel decent about you know the Packers' backfield this week. On the receiver side for the uh, Packers, you've got Devontae Adams, obviously, in the top three. Uh, got a great wide receiver strength of schedule, 9.1 out of 10, a 96.5 wide receiver cornerback matchup. To be honest, he probably should be number one in the ranks this week, even over Justin Jefferson. Um, right there, whatever, tomato, tomato. You could play either one of those players. You're going to love both of them. I have them together on a team, and I'm very happy about that. Ooh. Uh, wish Cooper Cup was on that team, but he's not. Can't have everything, Ian. Um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling um, is would be the other player that I think is potentially in play, um, just because of all the things I said. The wide receiver strength of schedule is a 9.1. Matchup not as good, but 74.2. That's pretty solid for Valdez-Scantling, which is one of these players that he can kind of move up and down based on matchups. Um, because he's not that great. So it really means that he needs to be getting a good matchup on the other side of the ball for his matchup to look that good. And that's really what we have going on with Valdez Scantling this week. So I think he could be a nice punt play. Problem is, I just don't think the Packers are going to have to do that much to win this game. I've got Aaron Rodgers inside my top 10 because he is Aaron Rodgers. Um, but at the same time, like it could be one of those games where Rodgers throws for 225 and two touchdowns, and that's all they need to do, and they still beat the Bears by 14. So it's just one of those kind of weeks. Um, as far as the tight ends go, there is nothing that we can really do right now with the Packers. Not even really a moonshot. No chance. Yeah, the only thing with Rodgers I found that was interesting when I was doing my uh, QB Week 14 predictions article, which you can find on pff.com for free every single Tuesday. He actually has been the most sensitive quarterback in the league in terms of largest drop-off and yards per attempt from a clean pocket compared to when he's under pressure. 38th among 40 quarterbacks in yards per attempt when under pressure. Maybe if the Bears had like Khalil Mack, they could do something about that. But with him on IR, yeah, I don't see this being much of a problem for Aaron and company. Monday Night Football, Rams at the Cardinals. Cardinals sitting as two-and-a-half-point favorites. Game total at 51-and-a-half. I'm not saying the Rams' passing game is back-back. They're not looking as good as they did earlier in the year, and they have played the Packers and Jaguars last two weeks. But still, Stafford, 597 combined yards, six touchdowns. He's even going out there tackling Sony Michelle at the one-yard line so he can go throw OBJ a fade on the next play. So really, at this point, Cooper Cup, we know the guy he is basically having a megatron best season with the touchdowns you know Dwayne, i'm assuming he's your wide receiver three behind adams and jefferson if not whatever you're starting him either way top and five. twice on sundays there we go top five screw it uh and then with that in mind though we have seen van jefferson start to return some legit robert woods-esque value very different players but the production all counts the same in Fantasyland. he has been the wide receiver 13 and the wide receiver 19 over the past two weeks he probably deserves to be ranked ahead of obj Dwayne. like i don't see any sort of like sign that the Rams are actively trying to force the ball to Beckham. Yeah. Cool. Just because the injuries like that's Beckham is yeah. playing banged up. He has a higher re-aggravation risk uh, Van Jefferson should be ranked ahead and you know, probably not going to be able to squeeze him in the top 24, maybe with these buys uh, top 30 at a minimum. So Jefferson is someone that not in the easiest, not in the world's easiest matchup, but I think we can get used to trusting him uh, more and more as an upside wide receiver three at worst uh, with Robert Woods done for the season and with OBJ. Boomer bust, wide receiver three, seemingly. At least we're back at the point where we can start Beckham and just not hate our entire lives because that's what the first month of the year felt like uh, to me, watching him waste away on some of those Browns offenses. So good stuff from the Rams passing game. And just based on the script, expecting uh, you know Stafford to have to throw the ball to his heart's delight. I believe this is the highest. Okay, Bill's Bucks is the highest game total of the week. This is 
the second highest one, only two games in the 50s. So yeah, with Stafford, like I probably would play him above someone like Aaron Rodgers just based on pure projected uh, volume in this one. So no, we're not getting this like top five MVP season out of him. Still, you know, I think a solid QB one more weeks than not. The most interesting part, though, is this backfield because, again, thank you, Jay Glazer, for telling us all what was going to happen. But Daryl Henderson was active last week. Emergency only, Sean McVay said after. There just wasn't a situation where they felt like he needed to go in. That led to Sony Michelle with 97% snaps, 24 carries, and three targets. If Henderson's going to be out again, Far from a guarantee, he's now had a full extra week to get ready. He was seemingly capable of playing if they really needed him last week already. If Henderson is for some reason out, Sony is locked and loaded RB1 start sit question with him and it is going to be treated as an insult or you're in some weird guillotine league. If Henderson is back, though, it sounds like there's a chance Sony could actually carve out a little bit of a role for himself still. Believe it when we see it a little bit because we've seen Sean McVay just really his entire Rams tenure mostly lean on one back. But we did see a little bit of split stuff with C.J. Anderson, Todd Gurley uh, for brief periods. Yeah. And then I did also go back and read those quotes. And, you know, the questions were a little bit leading. Like, so if you read the que- the question is basically asking if Sony Michelle could become the lead back. Right. So anytime like a coach gets asked a question like that, like they're not always just going to be like, oh, no, he could never do that. He talked about him as being a rhythm runner, how he could see him getting more involved, how they liked him. It was all positive stuff. But I think people are reading a little bit more into that than what there is. I do think that it could be more of a split. um, And those those, you know, those quotes could indicate that. But you always have to watch for that. Like, what was the question that was asked to get the quote? Because that does, that context really does matter, like, to determine, like, how you really, you know, quantify what it is the coach says. Per Jordan Rodriguez, you can catch her stuff over at The Athletic at Jordan Rodriguez on Twitter. Sean McVay did not want to commit Sony Michelle moving moving into a traditional lead back role. Did note that that type of downhill physicality to Rams utilized behind Michelle and some of those blocking concepts, something he believes they'll need back down the stretch. To your point, Dwayne, it's not like McVay came out and said, yeah, Sony. We're giving him 20 (laughs) touches a game even once Henderson gets back. There's still a lot of uncertainty in the air. And so... All my point is, I guess, when Henderson comes back, I'm not sliding him in the top 10 Agreed. immediately. I would like to see one more week. I don't think we need to super shy away from it. Like, I would anticipate Henderson still being the lead back, but maybe we see a situation where Henderson, you know, more of an RB2. Sony, instead of being like complete zero standalone value, can maybe give us, you know, something close to 10 combined carries and targets per game. So just a little bit more uncertainty than we're used to if Henderson's back. If he remains out, yeah. fire up I Sony with all to the sorry, I have Henderson closer to the mid RB two range, and typically cool. he's been a low end RB one. Absolutely, and then yeah, Tyler Higby, we, we know what we got at this point. Touchdown dependent, tight end two. Maybe if he gets uh, you know 50, 60 yards, he can flirt with a low end tight end one range, but not someone that needs to be jammed in the lineups by any sort of uh, you know stretch of okay. imagination. We I've needed I a think, historical uh, data point saying that you can have a tight end that runs ninety percent of the routes and you know has a good targets per route run and can still suck. Like I needed one of those. I needed something to make me have to go like research all the stuff all over again in the offseason. I appreciate you. Hat tip to you, one Tyler Higby. Great lesson for Mr. McFarlane. And how about the Cardinals defense? Once the laughing stock of the league at covering tight ends, now a top five unit in limiting their fantasy points. I think it was, um, who did I see Isaiah Simmons stand to last week on the Bears? I think it was like Marquise Goodwin or something. I was just like, damn, 
Isaiah Simmons, that dude is huge. I can't even imagine trying to get open uh, on him or pretty much any other NFL athlete for that matter. But enough rambling, Dwayne. We have reached our final team. Let's talk some Arizona Cardinals. It looks like Chase Edmonds has a chance to be back. He is technically able to be activated off the IR this week. With that said, though, man, I think it's going to be tough to keep James Conner out of that top 20 because he's already, bef even when Evans was out there, he was getting the touchdowns. The Cardinals are a high-scoring offense. And he's played well enough, man. They might just be content having him really, you know, be the guy moving forward. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you had Conner in the games with Evans, it was definitely much more volatile, right? You had RB 48, 61, 8. 33, 35, <laughs> 22, 20. So, you know, he was still, he was still to your point, he was usable, right? You just know that his floor is a lot lower and his ceiling is not as high. So you just have a wider, uh, wider range of outcomes without as high of a ceiling on it um, for James Conner. It's funny what you just said. I have him right now. I'm assuming that Chase Evans is playing. It is the Monday night game. And of course we know Cliff Kingsbury is going to take it down to a game time decision because he does it with every freaking injury every week. So don't really have your fingers crossed for any kind of information that's going to tell us what's going to happen on Monday night. We're probably not going to get it. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that Chase Edmonds is playing, you know, because that way when you guys look at the ranks, you can say, okay, if I've got these players, I should just go ahead and start them over, Ch over James Conner. I'd rather have it that way than have just assume that Edmonds is not going to play and say, I've got Conner at eight and you pass up starting the back that I have ranked 14th. Like I think the better yeah. play is to go ahead and play the back that you've got ranked 14th. If you get lucky on Monday night, or sorry, if you get unlucky on Monday night and Chase Edmonds just as an active, well, you just have to deal with it, you know. And you 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 took the back that was ranked, you know, six spots below Connor. Um, but that's the way I'm going to play it this week. I've got Connor sitting right now at 20. I've got Chase Edmonds sitting at 28. Again, I haven't fine-tuned these. These are more just really tiers. But Connor, I did look at while you were talking and just really penciled in like where I didn't pencil them in. I used my computer, Ian. I'm looking at a spreadsheet Ooh. like there's no paper in front of me. So don't act like, you know, I, people think I'm a caveman now because I took one note on the show. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> moving forward, uh, as far as the backs go, that's it on those. Um, Kyler Murray got him at quarterback two. You could easily call him quarterback one. Tough matchup. <clears throat> With the Rams, 2.4 out of a 10 on a quarterback strength schedule, only 19.8 points given up per game. But it's Kyler Murray. We really don't give a shit. Total of the games of 51.5, 27.25 implied points, which is the third best on the slate. So it's all wheels up. And look, you got Kyler Murray on your team. You're not even listening to it anymore to me anymore. You're just fast forwarding. You've already said, Dwayne, shut up. I'm starting Kyler Murray. So I'm moving on. DeAndre Hopkins, I've got just at the top of my tier three. Um, this week. We just need to, I want to see a full week from Hopkins. They didn't really need to use him last week. The game was over after a quarter. And so luckily he scored a touchdown for you early out of the gate. Um, but I've got him at wide receiver 20 on the week, top of tier three. Um, getting Hopkins back does kind of create this cascade effect though, Ian, because I, I think Hopkins will eventually be a 95% player again. He's going to be on the field 95% of routes. And when that happens, before with Antoine Wesley, when he was filling in, he would rotate off enough to let Kirk bounce outside. That gave you more room for Rondell Moore. But what we have right now is this battle going on, and it's Christian Kirk versus Zach Ertz. They both run a lot of routes from the slot. From the slot. You also have Rondell Moore running more routes than he ever has this season in the game where you had DeAndre Hopkins back, and it wasn't just late in the game. He was getting some of these routes early, and he plays in the slot. So eventually, if you don't have Hopkins bouncing off the field to let some of these guys 
guys play outside that we're talking about, and it's really only these slot routes that are available, like it's going to be tough to say who is going to get those routes each week. It will probably be matchup dependent. It'll also probably be game script dependent. If you see games where you see the Cardinals get out ahead, like they often do, you could easily see them wanting to keep, you know, the big form, the big formation in there. And you could want to use more tight ends. You could want to have Zach Ertz out there. You got a game where you're trailing. You could see them wanting to use Christian Kirk more out of the slot, maybe get Rondell Moore a little more involved. But the big, the big message here is it's just tough for me right now to be as confident. Still can be a good explosive offense. So you like these players, but I'm just not as confident as I was before. Right now, I've got I've got Christian Kirk ranked as my run as my wide receiver 36. Typically, I have him around 30 or so. So he's a borderline wide receiver three for me, just because I think it's going to be a, a situation that's going to get a little bit hairy. I've got Zach Ertz right now as my tight end 14. Um, and he's the tight end 10 on the season. So it just says a lot about what I'm, I'm just concerned about how the playing time is going to work out. And I, and I don't know that we're going to be able to predict it. I really do think it's going to come down to who they think gets the best matchup and really what the game script is, which we won't always be able to predict this game. You know, we could get a shootout. It is the Rams. Um, so I would lean more if I had to pick this week, say if I had both players on a roster, I would lean to Christian Kirk over Zach Ertz. The other thing I would say is I think Christian Kirk always carries more upside, right? than Zach Ertz, because he can come up with the big plays. We all love Zach Ertz, but Christian Kirk, we've seen him hit, you know, the 50 yard shots down the field. We also know that Kyler Murray dials him up a lot once they get inside the 20. So I still like Kirk slightly more if I was having to pick between the two players. Fantasy side of us wishes that these targets are more condensed, but you can't blame the Cardinals. It's working freaking perfectly for them. And really with Kyle, that I am happy the defense that just wasn't so good. <laughs> so, yeah, so even though you're getting it spread out, you just get more passing plays. Like it's just, it's a perfect, it's a tsunami of, of events that are impacting these pass catchers in a really good offense. And you can't say really good enough, man. I mean, this year, Kyler, first in big-time throw rate, and he trails only Tom Brady in turnover-worthy play rate. You know, I, I made a graph where I just kind of had their uh, dots on there so you kind of see where the quarterback's standing. And there's, like, no one even around Kyler. Like, I'm really ha – it seems like people are smart enough, you know, for now, at least on, on Twitter, not to be making these, uh, you know, running back jokes about Kyler Murray because he's also freaking the fastest player on the field. But, like, truly cannot stress enough how – much he has developed as a passer in his third year it's been a joy to watch thank you for everything you've done kyler on my television over the years happy to see you're healthy again and happy to see that right now you can get 25 percent off any pff subscription if you use code fancy get all that locked article content betting dashboards player prop tool much more again you can support the pod and use promo code fancy for 25 percent off and also we mentioned this on our uh, review podcast but the holiday season is here and because our pff fancy podcast listeners are the best of all the pff podcasts we want to help to create a list of what pff should build for you. You guys use the product. Maybe you don't. Maybe you would use the product if there was something that we had. That's what we were trying to find out. So please email us at contact at pff.com. You can answer the following two questions. What PFF feature do you love the most? And what do you want most from PFF? Again, that's contact at pff.com and tell us which podcast thing so you can put your ideas into the wish list for 2022 also if you're looking to get some skin in the game going over the DraftKings Sportsbook app use promo code PFF bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets if they score you score a promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL 
Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager, one per customer. Six supplies to DraftKings.com. Slash for details. Gambling problem? Don't call me. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And shout out to our friends at Western Southern, whether it's football success or financial savvy. The right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. And you can actually ask PFS very own Chris Collinsworth some questions about whatever you want to help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers The questions every week which you can submit by going to westernsouthern.com slash ask chris one more time that is westernsouthern.com slash ask chris if you're watching on youtube check out the link in the description below remember western southern you can rest assured on game day and also if you're like me I've not done your Christmas shopping yet. May I suggest going to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products. So get yourself, your dad, your brother, and friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Again, 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Dwayne, bye weeks are over, man. I don't know what the hell we're going to do when we got to go back to talking about 16 games, but, you know, we'll worry about that next week. I think Good we'll have a pre-meeting, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the <laughs> matchups that we we both agree that we're only going to spend, like, 10 minutes on. <laughs> I do have a question. Might as well bring it up uh, on the pod because I was thinking about it uh, today because I, I care what you listeners think as well. When we do, you know, on this podcast, I think we have a pretty good uh, back and forth, but on – Sunday night, when we review the games, usually I go through everything with two teams and you go through everything with two teams. Dwayne, do you think we should do it like team by team, actually? So like we'd still go game by game, but instead of like me talking about both teams and then throwing it to you, we could just go like Steelers yeah. and then... I prefer the yeah. interaction, you know, back and forth, yeah. you know, it just keeps me. It's just hard on Zoom, man, you know. That's oh, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, yeah, no, I, I think we should do it that way. Why don't we just try it that way on Sunday and we'll see what happens. We're going to try it that way. Uh, if anyone vehemently disagrees with that, let me know. Let Dwayne know. Whatever. We're just trying to help make everyone better in your fantasy football leagues. Hope you all have those playoff spots already clinched. Man, Dwayne, I was going through on a Sunday night, just but even before Monday was finalized. Like, no better feeling than when you realize you got that first round playoff by. And you're like, I'm good. We'll, we'll worry about this in uh, week 16. Don't even have a worry right now. So anything else you want to get off your chest, Mr. McFarlane? No, man. Um, feel really good about the show. I think we covered a ton of good content, but I'm looking forward to the feedback from the listeners about the Sunday Night Pod and anything for this one, too. You know, um, I'm a... I'm a feedback junkie, so I love that stuff. Love it. Love all you listeners. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody.